This is the Manga Mavericks podcast from allcomic.com episode 143. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. I'm Lam Ramayasha, and today we have a very special winter news special episode for you. It's an episode about all the recent news in the past month or two. There's a lot to talk about, especially because it's that time of year again, the wonderful time of year that gets you so excited. No, I'm not talking about Christmas. I'm talking about the Oricon chart, the top-selling manga chart from Oricon. It is finally that time every year where we get to report on what were the most highest-selling manga in Japan all year round and this is a big list this year this was a big one to talk about so we're gonna be excited talking about that we're gonna go into list right straight off but we also have so much other things to talk about in terms of serialization news big things happening there big licenses are happening big industry shakeups are happening and so much more in terms of movie news and anime news and all that too yeah, 2020 so far seems to be going out on a bang, and a, and a kind of a good one in some aspects, which is good, because um, I think we could all use some good news at this point. Yeah, I mean, we first, though, we got to start off with some follow-ups on unpleasant news. At least this is perhaps going to go in a nice thing of, like, this person finally getting sentenced. But we have to start off with the news that Octage writer Tatsuya Matsuki has admitted to an indecent act charge in court. They face 18 months in prison, but the defense is seeking a suspended sentence under the grounds that, oh, he has already been punished enough by society because his manga series was cancelled. <laughs> and if the court accepts that, he won't serve a prison term, provided he remains in good behavior during the term of his suspension. But the sentencing for this is scheduled for December 23rd. We will see what happens with Tatsuya Matsuki, whether he'll go to prison or not. But, well, we'll see. I mean, the defense is also trying to argue that, oh, he has a lot of social anxiety. Oh, he has a complex towards women and acted out on a stranger. And there's no way for him to apologize. And uh, those are like all, those all seem like excuses to me. So hopefully uh, he does serve time for the kind of heinous crime he did. So we will see about that. I'm, I'm hoping so as well. But I also feel like we, we have to remember that, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, the, the authors. There are two precedents yeah. for this where Mangaka in Shonen Jump committed sex crimes and did not go to jail for them. Yeah. So there are two precedents for this. We'll see if Matsuki's case turns out any differently. But, I mean, we have to see just at the end of the month how this is going to play out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so <sighs> hopefully this will turn out well this time. But, I mean, we'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely let you guys know, you know, what, what happens afterwards. But, uh, for now, now we just play the waiting game, I guess. Um, but that's about it for that. Um, let's get into all the lists we have to talk about. We have, we have two New York Times lists and two book scan lists to talk about. Yeah, before we even get to work on. Um, let's go ahead and start off with the New York Times list for November. And kind of starting from the bottom here, 
Uh, we have Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba, Volume 1, ranking at 15 on the list, down from its previous uh, rank on the list here. At number 9, we have Volume 2 of My Hero Academia, again, down from its previous rank, as well as Volume 1, ranking at number 8 on the list. But all the way up at number 3 on the list is, I believe, the newest volume of My Hero Academia, Volume 25, at number 3 on the list. A pretty good showing, again, considering it is a new volume of the series, the newest volume of the series. And, uh, you know, that, that's that's pretty cool to see. Um, and I guess we could just move on to uh, the December list. It is a very similar list. The exact same four volumes. <laughs> well, let's... Just in a slightly different well, order. Well, let's, let's see where they rank, because... Uh, uh, while it may have ranked number three on the November list, uh, volume 25 of My Hero Academia is basically placed uh, 11 places down at number 14. But, I mean, you know, it, it's still on the list, and that's that's what counts. You know, it's still selling pretty well, I'm assuming. At number 11, we have volume one of Demon Slayer up at number 11. Uh, volume two of My Hero Academia ranking two places down from the last list at number 10, as well as volume one ranking higher on the list number four. And yeah, there's, I don't know, there's not, like you said, there's not really much else to add there. Again, literally the same volumes, different placements, but but it is interesting to see, like, which volumes moved up and which ones moved down. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think that's really about it for the, for the list there. Yeah. I think it's just interesting that consistently we're now seeing more volumes on the New York Times list. Before it was like one or two, now we're seeing a steady four, and it's showing a really strong uh, presence of Minor Academia and Demon Slayer. Those seem to be like the top two titles, and I think that volumes one and two of MHA are proving to be M for green sellers. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they probably moved up the list, uh, considering, you know, it is the holiday season and I'm sure uh, probably uh, a lot of parents are probably buying uh, my hair. The first couple of volumes of my hair academia for their, uh, for their kids, probably, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are buying them as gifts. I'd be interested in seeing where Demon Slayer is going to rank, uh, the, I guess the newest volumes of Demon Slayer, whether they rank on the list or not, and like how highly they rank on the list. Because it, it, it was kind of interesting to see that a lot of people came out to buy Volume 25, and then the fervor for that, I guess, kind of died down a little bit. But it was still on the list, so um, I wonder if that's just going to be the trend we see moving forward. But I guess we'll have to see in due time. All right, but now we're going to move on to the book scan list for October in particular. And, uh, you know, I guess we're just going to start from the uh, start from the top down uh, again. Volume 25 of My Hero Academia ranking at the very top of the book scan list at number one. Again, clearly a lot of people, you know, My Hero Academia is still going strong, especially for the newest volumes. I'm sure a lot of people were uh, looking forward to this arc in particular. So and then as as for literally the rest of My Hero Academia on the list, we have volume one ranking at number two. Volume 2, ranking at number 3, uh, with Volume 24, ranking at number 7, Volume 3, ranking at 11, with Volume 4, ranking at number 17, and Volume 5, ranking at number 20. Uh, so that's about seven volumes of My Hero Academia? I think I counted that right? Yes. Um, so, yeah, that's a pretty significant chunk of the book scan list, like always. Um, it, it, it seemed like... My Hero Academia for the past few months hadn't been taking up as many spots for the past few months, but 
the the natural order of the universe is now realigning as 2020 comes to a close, and My Hero Academia is now taking up more spots like it usually does. So, you know, all is right with the world, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's a third of the list of the top 20. Another manga making a good showing on the list, obviously, is Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba, with Volume 17 ranking at number 4, as well as Volume 1 ranking at number 9. And, uh, again, that's only two volumes of Demon Slayer, but, like... You're missing here a Volume 2 and Number 18. Okay, yeah, I saw it. Thank you. Uh, That's still three volumes of Demon Slayer... Again, not as much as My Hero Academia, but I I think eventually Demon Slayer, I think, is eventually going to take up more spots on this list. It has about six months to do so, I guess, because the last volume of Demon Slayer, I think, is set to come out here in June. So we will see about that if it continues to climb. But clearly it has been climbing over the period of time we've been reporting on these sales. So... It is a big seller. I bet that final volume of Demon Slayer is going to make number one on this list. I could see it happening. It'd definitely be interesting to see, especially if the timing is right for when the film comes out. I mean, we could definitely see another spike. Mm -hmm. Now, this was, I guess, not surprising, but it it was cool to see uh, Chainsaw Man Volume 1 ranked number five on the list, which is pretty cool. I'm, I'm glad to see that Chainsaw Man is doing pretty well. Yeah. That's a pretty strong showing for our first volume. Very strong debut. I mean, Chainsaw Man is, of course, a title that has been talked up a lot since it's come out. Very popular in online manga reading circles. And I think that has definitely penetrated into mainstream comics conversations. So most definitely, I think Chainsaw Man was a comic a lot of people were looking forward to. And a lot of people are buying and will probably continue to buy. Mm-hmm. I, would, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if... You know, if, if it maybe took up more spots in the list, maybe when a future anime comes out, we might have more on that later. Anyway. Yeah, uh, when more volumes come out. I mean, only one volume is out. But, like, to rank number five in the debut month on the book span is really good. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, next up, we have One Punch Man, volume 21. I'm assuming the newest volume of One Punch Man. Ranking at number six on the list. Still a perennial seller. Always does well. Always has a place on the list. Next up, we see the return of Junji Ito's Uzumaki, the hardcover edition, at number eight. Um, It was strangely absent from the list a little bit for a few months, but now is making its return. I'm I'm, I'm sure it ranked on this list in particular for this month because I'm sure a lot of people bought it for for, for the spooky month, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I could see that. And then... uh, this is so this this one's interesting. I don't think we've ever seen this one on the list before. Not not to my knowledge anyway. Uh but we have Wotakoi, Love is Hard for Otaku, volume four at number twelve. Um, Lama, have you read this series before or? Uh not much, but I know it is quite popular, and I'm glad to see some Jose representation on here, and it's really great that it's ranking very high in the book scan this newest volume, so I'm definitely uh, very happy about this. Mm-hmm. I myself, I actually just watched all the anime recently, and uh, I have to say, it's it's pretty good. I definitely want to start reading this at some point. Um, I wouldn't. I also wouldn't mind maybe talking about it on the show at some point because uh, yeah. I I I didn't know there was like so little of the manga out, but uh, I don't know. It's from what I watched of the anime, it was a good series. It's definitely great for people. I I think kind of in you know, their late 20s kind of age range where, you know, it's literally about people who have office jobs, but still kind of like, 
you know, hang out and dabble in their like otaku hobbies. It's 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 very relatable for that specific age demo, and uh, it's it's pretty great. Um, glad, glad to see it on the list. Yeah, it's good to see this do well since this was the first volume uh, Contentious put out in two years. So mm. a lot of uh, demand and anticipation for this, I think. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's the release for this is you know going to be staggered here in North America because Kodansha is doing these as omnibuses, and there are only so many volumes that come out in Japan a year. So that's probably why it took so long for this newest one to get come out but it's good to see that the wait has only made people more hungry for it and people want to pick it up even more so good to see it have a strong showing and good to see again a title that is not you know another shonen title another viz media title it's nice to see some you know representation from other publishers and of other genres on this list Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, Kodansha in particular, I, f- I feel like the only title we really see from them on this list is usually Attack on Titan, so it- it's good to see that another one of their titles made it on the list besides that series. Um, but moving on, at number 13 on the list, we had the the first volume of Tokyo Ghoul. Again, it seems like more people are fi- are getting into Tokyo Ghoul, you know, for-, for-, for the spooky month, for October. Like we discussed last time, I think we covered the list. And then at number 15, we have Volume 9 of Comey Can't Communicate. Not usually a title we see every month on the list, but definitely, I think, uh, is going to keep having a place on this list, you know, as long as new volumes come out. I'll I'll be infrequently, but, you know, it's still nice to see. I wouldn't be surprised if Comey Can't Communicate has, I, I think it has the potential for being uh for being one of the uh for one of the book scans like highest selling like manga franchises in the future i could see that happening probably on the low end but like i could still see it happening perhaps uh, if it continues to have really strong sales and i think if it got an anime i feel i would push it over the top <sighs> we're we're waiting for it but that's a whole other thing. Um, at number 16 we have volume 1 of the promised neverland again people getting into the promised neverland for the first time uh, in time for Spooky Month, Pro- and also probably because, again, like I said last time, the anime is on Netflix, so I'm sure that's getting a lot of people into it, and probably some fervor for Season 2 coming up pretty soon, too, so there's that. And uh, that's really about it for that list in particular. Um, a lot of manga on this list. Yeah, I mean, the next... I mean, uh, it's about the same. But yeah, this is about 85% representation. So that's a pretty strong manga domination. Mm-hmm. And uh, the November list is about 80%. So one book less, but still, again, uh, manga is making up a huge bulk of the highest sales in the market right now, it seems. Oh, yeah. And I guess we could just move on to the November list. Uh, because again, w- once again, My Hero Academia taking, o- taking over a lot of the list. Uh, this time we have volume one ranking at number one with volume two ranking at number two, volume 25, ranking at number four, uh, with volume three, ranking at number eight, volume 24, ranking at number nine, with volume four, ranking at number 11, as well as volume five, ranking at number 14. Uh, so that's about, again, another seven volumes of My Hero Academia on the list, which, again, it's interesting, because I, I think we could probably say, again, like we were saying uh, when we were talking about the New York Times list, a lot of people vying volume one and two in particular, again, I'm sure is like Christmas gifts or whatever, but 
Um, again, what what else can we say? My Hero Academia, I think, is easily the highest selling comic right now over in North America, at least. It's it's got a strong showing. Um, little little surprise kind of carried over from uh, I think from not the October list, but I think the September list is High uh, Q Volume One, ranking at number five, and I believe Volume Two ranking at number fifteen. Um, and I'm I'm wondering if this is the start of High Q probably becoming an infrequent uh, placeholder on this list. I could see it happening. Perhaps. I mean, I'm sure a lot of Haikyuu's boost this month comes from the fact that the newest season has started airing. So perhaps as long as the new anime keeps airing, we'll still see some strong sales of Haikyuu as it continues to publish out like its last couple of volumes here in North America. Mm-hmm. I mean, volume one ranking at number five on the list out of 20, that, that's a pretty good showing, I think, for a sports manga. Yeah, I mean... It really goes to show how far we've come in terms of sports manga's viability in terms of sales over here. Oh, yeah, for sure. And then I guess just to move on to the number six on the list, we have once again Demon Slayer Volume 18 ranking there, along with Volume 1 ranking at number seven, as well as Volume 2 ranking at number 16. So that's three volumes of Demon Slayer already on this list, which uh, again... As far as having a title that could possibly compete with My Hero Academia, I think Demon Slayer, I think Demon Slayer is well on its way there. I could see it happening. Yeah. I mean, with Demon Slayer, though, of course, it has like a finite lifespan in terms of volumes. So when the series publishes its last volume, we'll see how long it continues to linger. But I think it is a really cool thing to see Demon Slayer basically climb up to nearly rival MHA. Oh, I mean, yeah. certainly it is the second most represented series on the books game and the NYT list. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, honestly, and I mean, we don't know anything at the time of this recording, but I, I, I can see your point where, again, we do have a finite amount of Demon Slayer and the last volume is set to come out next year. But I, I also think that the second that an announcement for another season of the anime comes, I think that's going to change things. I could definitely see it getting quite the boost. I, I don't know. I, I'd be surprised if that didn't happen. But I don't. I, I think that will happen. But again, we'll have to see. Um, next up on the list, we have once again Toilet Bound Hanako Kun Volume One, ranking at number ten on the list. Uh, interesting to see this on the list once again. Seems like uh, seems like we have our fair share of uh, Hanako Kun fans, and that's uh, that's cool to see. Again, once again, Tokyo Ghoul Volume One ranking at number twelve. Uh, Tokyo Ghoul is always guaranteed a spot on this list. It's not no surprise. As well as Uzumaki once again ranking at number thirteen on the list. And then again, speaking of frequent customers, uh, we have Berserk the Deluxe Edition Volume Six ranking all the way down at number twenty. And, uh, yep, that's about it for that list. Um, I guess any thoughts on this one compared to the one from October, or mostly the same? It was a similar list, but again, I am happy to see more representation for series not published by Biz Media and Shonen Jump, with Hanako-kan and Berserk being on this one. That's two series from two different publishers, so that's always nice to see you know some big hits from other publishers and make the top sellers lists and it's great to see a newer series like Hanako-kan really do really well too 
So I'm glad that it's continuing to do really strong for Yen, and hopefully it continues to. Mm-hmm, for sure. But that's finally about it for the NYT and Bookskin lists. And Lum, I think I think we need to talk about the Oricon yearly sales list for the past year. Yes. So we'll be talking about the Oricon top-selling manga in Japan list for the year of 2020. This reports sales from November 18, 2019 to November 22nd, 2020. So actually just a little over a year, but basically a full year of sales. And this is a really big one. So the official report on Oricon and ANN only lists the top five, but data has been mined for a full top ten by the unofficial Shonen Jump Twitter, if you see them around on Twitter. And I trust their numbers for the full top ten, so we'll go over this full top ten, starting from number ten all the way up to one. And at number ten, we have... You know, something that has stuck around this past decade is one of the biggest hits, Attack on Titan, selling 4,306,000 copies, which is, you know, still a strong showing. Attack on Titan has fallen from its peak sales period, but again, that's nothing to sneeze at. In general, I will say that the floor of sales this year, if you were to compare with previous years, is really high, and I think that's... A lot of that is because of the top, what is at top, but previously where the floor of the sales list might be in this 2 million, 3 million range, now it's in the 4 million range. And I think that's, you know, a pretty healthy sign of like how big comic sales have gotten in the year 2020. Mm-hmm. Now, at number nine, we're seeing a really, really noteworthy series on this list, Spy Family. No anime, only about two years old, but Spy Family is the ninth highest selling manga of 2020 with 4.5 million copies sold. For a series to be this big without an anime adaptation to propel it forward, I mean, Spy Family is a huge hit. It could become a phenomenon if it got animated and got even more exposure on more of a push so this is quite incredible the buzz for spy family in japan is huge and in north america too we've seen spy family on the book scan it's done very well over here too so spy family a big comic right now it's really impressive to see its success without any other like anime push or anything like that now at number eight we have minor academia with about six million copy sales for energy to be at number eight is actually a little surprising. It's quite lower than you would think from previous years, but this is about kind of in the same ballpark as we've seen kind of its sale range. MJ sales have kind of been between the six to eight million these past couple of years, so it's kind of going up and down, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of my hero academia, just kind of looking at last year's Oricon list. It's made roughly a million more in sales compared to last yeah. year, but as as far as its overall rank on the list, it is down by two places. So Yeah. I mean it, it went up by a million which is nothing to sneeze at, you know. Oh yeah. So yeah. I mean I just I just that range to five to seven million actually. But yeah, yeah. MHA it kind of is it fluctuates between the same ballpark in sales, but it is up from the previous year. Mm, it still does well though, all things considered, so Yes. And then at number seven, we have the quintessential quintuplets. Sadly, they did not rank as number five again this year, even though it was imperfect. And they also didn't get five million copies, but they got more than that, which is honestly better. They got 6.1 million copies sold. Quintessential quintuplets edited it's year strong. I mean, it's 
basically final year uh, running and the last couple of volumes did well the series as a whole has done well and it's going to be interesting to see if it continues to sell even more next year as you know another series of the anime is coming so perhaps we will even though the series is over we will see it in next year's list too but when essential quintuplets you know had a very strong showing last year and again even though it's lower ranked this year it sold more than last year by a couple hundred thousand copies which is nothing to sneeze at no yeah and i mean honestly like just just seeing how well it does over in japan i like at first I, like because a uh, full disclosure um kodansha announced a lot of like deluxe editions and box sets for a lot of their stuff I'm not. I'm kind of not surprised anymore that the quintessential quintuplets is getting its own box set over here. Yeah, I imagine much like in Japan, it does extre- It has done quite well over here. I mean, they they only like. I'm assuming publishers only do box sets for things that like do extremely well. Yeah, and at number six we have Promise Neverland, ranking with six point three million copies sold. And that is down from the previous year, not just in spots, but in sales. It sold about 1.2 million less than the previous year. So it didn't get really a boost from its final year in sales. It did see a bit of a decline, but still it's ranking just outside the top five with quite a lot sold. So it still ends pretty strongly, all things considered. Yeah, I mean, you know. It's 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 one of those things where it's like you know, d- despite how some people may may have felt about the ending of the series, like it it still does pretty well. Yeah, and last year it had an anime push, you know, at the beginning of 2019, and this year it didn't get like kind of a follow up with the second season. So the second season was delayed till the uh, beginning of next year. So you know, the previous year had a little more uh, momentum going in. For going for it with that push mm-hmm. but you know it still has continued to hold pretty strong even with a little bit of a drop off there i, I kind of wonder if it did have an anime this year if it would have if it would have been able to compete with the next title on the list i mean they're very close because now we're going to the number five and ranking at number five is jujutsu kaisen with 6.7 million copies sold of course jjk has recently gotten an anime that's been quite popular and i'm sure that has contributed to some sales push but it's been also been doing really well you know even before that and jujutsu kaisen is of course has been shaping up to be one of the biggest hits in jump right now one of the most popular titles and one of the highest selling titles in terms of jump series overall you would say this was the fourth highest selling jump title of the year so you know this is a big one. And in terms of ongoing stuff, this is the second highest selling ongoing jump title of the year. So and it's not that far behind what is the highest selling ongoing jump title too. So Jujutsu Kaisen doing quite well as an up and coming new series. Very popular. But uh, speaking of another a jump series that ended this year that has ended its year strong, Q coming in number four with 7.2 million copies sold. Of course, Q had a really, you know, fantastic final arc this year. So it's no surprise to see that the sales and the fandom for Haikyuu has continued to hold strong. Basically, the sales are uh, higher than last year, actually, you know, quite a bit, about 2.5 million copies higher than last year. So it did get like a big bump 
from its final year ending and, of course, new anime seasons. So, yeah, Haikyuu ends its final year on a really strong high note. Oh, yeah. And, of course, Haikyuu has been kind of another mainstay of this Oricon top-selling charts list for the past decade. And while this is not the highest Haikyuu it's ever been, this is still pretty good on the high end. Mm-hmm. I think four places up from last year, too, so. Yeah. And now we're getting into the top three, and this is surprising to see if this low. This is definitely the lowest it's been yet, but One Piece is here at number three on the Oricon for 2020. 7.7 million copies sold. This is definitely the lowest One Piece sales we've seen in a long time for yearly sales. These are the lowest sales I think there's ever been for One Piece on the Oregon charts. But, yeah, I mean, still, it's the third highest-selling comic in Japan in 2020. It's still very popular, One Piece, of course. But, you know, One Piece's decline in terms of sales has not been mitigated. And it is down about 3 million copies from last year. I think a lot of this, though, could probably be attributed to, I think... There was one less volume released in this time period than last year, and I think that is a huge factor in it. And maybe if that volume had come out, uh, we'd see higher sales. Mm, But yeah, it is surprising to see One Piece uh, this low, but, you know, it's still selling quite well. I think it's just more surprising to see the extent of uh, the success of other series. Kingdom comes in at number two here. With about 8.2 million copies sold. Kingdom, of course, is one of those titles that is so incredibly successful in Japan. It is killing me that we don't get it over here in North America. Oh, man. Because it's a big deal. It sold more than it did even last year to flip the spots with it in one piece. And, yeah, Kingdom continues to just be really strong. People are super into it. And I wish I could gauge, like what is happening in the story uh so i could know why but again kingdom is really really popular really really something that people love to talk about love to praise and clearly are excited for so you know i am really interested in seeing like how it continues to do and of course i wish a publisher over here would take a chance on it because it's a big deal and I think uh, a lot of people, myself included, would like to read like, it. Like, I, I get it, right? Like, it's it's almost 60 volumes long. I get I get why that's scary for a lot of publishers, but, like... The anime didn't give it any buzz at all. No, because it was yeah. very well done. But, but, I mean, like, I th- I think there's a... I think there's a fandom for it here. I think people will buy it. I just think... I just, I just think you have to find a way to sell it in a way where, like, maybe they won't... Like, a publisher won't lose money. Like, you know, like... I think uh, you'd have to take that digital, digital yeah. I think you'd have to take the digital approach. Like what Kadansha has done for a lot of its titles, especially its long running ones like Ace of Diamond, Chai Fruit, those kind of long running titles that they're doing only as digitals. Like you'd have to take that approach for Kingdom. Yeah. And that's up to Wiz to do that, because Wiz it's Shueisha property, Wiz has its hands on it. It would have its hands on it. It's like the publisher that it would go to if it got licensed. So 
I'm kind of surprised Shueisha hasn't just been like, hey guys, you need to publish this. Yeah, or, you know, if it is truly passes on it, like, it should go, someone else should be able to grab it, of course. Like, obviously, if Wiz doesn't pick something else, that is fair game for other publishers to grab. So, yeah, I mean, other, another publisher could get this, but, like, they really would have to do that digital strategy, I think. For this series, because it's it's a big deal in Japan. It's not a big deal here. It has a cult following here, but again, it doesn't have like a super big anime popularity push here. Like the anime came out here, it did not get that much attention. The movie, which it was really good, I, that didn't get that much attention from a lot of people, you know. So, I think to appeal to the fan base, like to Mac, I think approaching it with a digital first strategy would be the best opportunity for kingdom i would like to see a publisher try that with the series could you imagine if if a company like comiXology picked up the entirety of kingdom as like a comiXology exclusive i mean i could see that happening i think actually amazon comiXology would probably be in the best position to invest in this oh yeah i mean I'm I'm sure the like the fan base for Kingdom over here isn't as big as like fan bases for other really popular tiles, but I I genuinely think enough people are into it over here to where I I think it could make at least a small chunk of money, you know? Like I I think there's enough people who will buy it. I just think it takes the right strategy to release it. Yeah. Again, just like other stuff that is popular but kind of a you know niche popular kind of thing like Ace of Diamond Chai Fruit. We've seen what what Kadansha has tried with releasing longer series digital first that it can work for them even you know if the success of those isn't to the extent that you know they go oh well now we can try this in print too like it sometimes it doesn't work out to be that successful but you know it's still successful enough to sustain the digital release yeah yeah which is you know one way to read it is better than always exactly but anyway, Kingdom is dwarfed. <laughs> Kingdom is not the king of the Oricon list at all. Nope. It is dwarfed. It is crushed under the heel of what is the real number one. Selling ten times more than Kingdom at number two. <laughs> Demon Slayer Kometsu no Yaiba. 82 million points three copies sold in the year 2020. That, again, ten times more than the number two. But this is the highest sales of any single series in the Oricon list ever in the time Oricon has been doing this since 2008. <sighs> We've always talked about how One Piece was such a huge phenomenon in the beginning of this decade. You know, that's when it like really had its big renaissance boom. But even One Piece at its peak did not reach these kind of numbers. One Piece at its peak in the Oricon charts was in 2011. With 37 million copies sold. It was almost 38 million copies sold. It was 37.99 million copies sold. But Demon Slayer in a, this year has sold more than double that. <laughs> Demon Slayer has sold more copies than One Piece at its peak year. Oh, man. Demon Slayer has sold more copies than all the other Shueisha series combined. It has sold more copies than all the other series from all the other publishers combined. Demon Slayer is a juggernaut in the Japanese manga publishing landscape. It is like inescapable, undescribably huge phenomenon. And we're going to circle back to that 
at the end of the podcast when we report on the movie news, but Demon Slayer has tapped into the zeitgeist. It has enraptured the culture of Japan in such a big way that it's almost indescribable. I don't know like how to even quantify it almost. I don't know how to really describe it. It's just incredibly impressive. Uh, the scale of this is it's an, almost unfathomable to think that a single series could be this successful to this ex- extent. Like we talked about how big a deal Attack on Titan was. At its peak, Attack on Titan only was selling like 15 million copies in a single year. That was the peak sales Attack on Titan had. And now look at Demon Slayer, which in a single year has sold more than five times that. When you think of other big hits in this landscape, like Demon Slayer is just on a whole nother level. Oh man! Like I'm, I'm looking at the list of um of of like best selling manga right now. Um, because uh, it looks like so. Th- th- this is the thing that gets me right. Like Demon Slayer's lifetime sales are over 120 million. Yeah, that puts it right outside the top ten for highest selling manga. That means Demon Slayer made made most of its most of its lifetime sales this year. It did. Yeah. That's that's nuts. And it's astonishing when you remember that Demon Slayer's sales overall, its lifetime sales were like 4.5 million before its anime came out last year, and then look at it now. Ooh, yeah. Let's see, just just kind of looking at the list here. Demon Slayer has sold more than stuff like, obviously, Attack on Titan, Astro Boy, Doraemon, Fist of the North Star, JoJo, Touch... You know, some like really, really big series that I I think arguably are still in the zeitgeist of like anime manga fandom. Yeah. I mean, Demon Slayer was going to break into that top 10 because it's rivaling Bleach right now. I think, you know, it's easily going to climb, keep climbing. Yeah, I, I think it'll probably sell more than Bleach. And in terms of representation, it would be the series with the least amount of volumes in the top 10 highest selling manga of all time. Yeah. Like if you were to divide... Like, the total sales by the number of volumes it has, like, it has the highest, like, profit per volume ratio, probably, of anything besides, I mean, the extent of sales of One Piece and Dragon Ball are so high that maybe those would edge out, but, I mean, Demon Slayer still has a huge uh, sales per volume ratio. Could you imagine if Demon Slayer sold more copies than Slam Dunk? It's going to. Which... It's going to. Yeah. It's only six million away. It's going to climb past that. It probably already has because the final volume is out. Oh, man. Like, I kind of wonder if, like, when we get to, like, if, if we get through the first half of 2021, if Demon Slayer is going to be number one again. It could be possible. I Again, Demon Slayer is such a phenomenon in Japan that all bets are off. Like, I again, we'll talk about it when it comes to the film, but... What that film has done, what that film could eventually end up being, is something that is so unpredictable for what is an adaptation of a you know shonen jump manga property, or just a anime franchise property. For that to do as well as it is, like I mean, this is quite extraordinary for a series with this short a lifespan, this recent to be this successful. Hmm. Um, and while we're still on the topic of Demon Slayer, we don't normally cover like these lists in particular because c- comparing them to like the top selling series by series, I'm talking about the volumes list in particular. We don't normally cover those because it's kind of redundant, but 
I, I feel like it's it's worth noting that when it comes to the top selling manga by volume, what, what is it? The first like twenty spots are just all Demon Slayer. Yeah, it's basically all the volumes of Demon Slayer are, are at the top, and then the One Piece volumes that came out this year, and then it's just more Demon Slayer than it's everything else. Like again, this is nuts. Yeah, like it's kind of hard to quantify how how huge how huge of a hit Demon Slayer is, and like like. When we covered the first chapter of Demon Slayer, like back in 2016 on this podcast, and we talked about our thoughts on it, I never thought that it would literally be the highest selling manga in one year. I mean, forget that. To the extent to which it is sold, and the fact that, oh man, the fact that it could have the highest selling Japanese film of all time. And when we get to the movie list, that that's going to happen, I think, now. Like, the fact that it would be this huge a phenomenon was something totally unpredictable in the multimedia landscape of this franchise. Like, I mean, the light novels list, Demon Slayer's domination extends beyond manga to light novels because the Demon Slayer light novel also <laughs> was the highest selling light novel of the year with 2.7 million in sales, which is 2 million more than the number two highest selling light novel in 2020, ReZero, which only had 700,000 in sales. <laughs> It's just on a whole other level, and 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 ReZero is a really popular like uh, property right Re-Zero now too. ReZero is big. Number three, that time I got reincarnated slime, big. Story online, big. Kusiria no Hirogoto, big. I mean, these all are popular titles, but these are all in the five hundred thousand to seven hundred thousand range, where we have the Demon Slayer light novel here in the two point seven million range. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's. I I have no words. I wish I I yeah. wish I did, but I I I I don't know what else we can say. I mean, what else is there to say other than Demon Slayer is a big deal? It's a huge hit, and yeah, I mean this this is probably one of the this is the biggest manga hit in our lifetime in the two thousands so far. This is like the biggest hit since One Piece, easily. I'm I'm just happy for Gotoge. They have to be rolling in it right now. Yeah, I would hope so. I hope they are receiving some really generous royalties, and I hopefully they are really comfortable now and really happy and happy with their success and that their work has brought joy to so many people. And I hope they are still encouraged to draw even more manga because. You know, Demon Slayer is a big hit, but I would still be really interested in seeing, like, more stories from them. So, yeah, hopefully they can just, you know, comfortably continue to draw uh, what they enjoy. Yeah, this this is also their first series, too. Yeah. That that has to be an indescribable feeling. Yeah, not a whole lot of people can have such a big hit as their first work. Like, you know, again, like Horikoshi, it took... Kim Street Times. It takes people a lot of times to like, uh, you know, really find something that really hits and resonates with people. But yeah, and again, Demon Slayer was not this big hit at the beginning. Like it did, it struggled at the beginning with serialization. It was a modest seller for a few years, and then it's exploded in this big way. Like that is, and just as it was ending, like that has to be really satisfying. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of surprised Shueisha like let Demon Slayer end with how big it got well i'm glad that they let gotoge ended on its own terms and i think that was the right i think that has only 
help Demon Slayer maintain its uh, momentum. The fact that it ended, and so now people can be excited to read that entire series as a complete work. All right, but we'll have plenty of chances throughout this episode to talk more Demon Slayer, but I, I think we should move on to some serialization news. Yes. So actually, this is something that I guess we've neglected to mention at the beginning, but we will be talking about uh, the new series from Shonen Jump, Sakamoto Days. Now, there were two new series, but we will not be discussing Build King by Mitsutoshi Shimabukuro because we do not feel it is appropriate to discuss a series by, you know, Mishimoroko has had a record of being a sex offender, soliciting sex from underage girls. And while before we had discussed Toriko on this show, and we were fans of Toriko. And we even discussed the Bill King one-shot at one point, too. We discussed the Bill King one-shot, too. And this was after the whole Watsky stuff too, but having seen what happened with Watsky and what is currently happening with Matsky, you know, we feel that we have to take a hardline stance on, you know, convicted offenders continuing to be published and promoted by Shonen Jump without having sufficient punishment for the crimes that Shimabuko did not receive sufficient punishment for what he had done and set a bad president that led to uh, the exoneration of Watsky and could potentially have ramifications that will affect Matsky even be potentially being rehabilitated, which would be awful. And just in general, because in the light of those incidents, we don't feel comfortable uh, promoting Shimabuka's work or discussing it on the show anymore. Mm-hmm. Which... You know, I, I think it's a real shame because I think we can say, you know, we, we still both, I think, really, we, we both really like Toriko and, you know, we, we enjoy talking about it and, you know, and it, it's a shame. But I mean, at this point, I, I think, I think I agree. It, it doesn't make sense for us as a podcast to, to cover Shimabukuro's work while we, while we don't want to, you know, talk about Watsuki or Matsuki. It just, it just doesn't make sense at this point. Yes. And we haven't censored our previous podcast where we did discuss Shimabuko's work. Those are still available to listen to. But in the descriptions, I had gone back a while back to put disclaimer saying these were recorded at a point in time in which we had a different stance, but we have changed our stance. And so we just want to acknowledge that. Yeah. Um, but with that being said, we should talk about Sakamoto Days. Yeah, Sakamoto Days comes to us by Yuto Suzuki. They previously did a one-shot earlier this year, but as far as I can tell, that's all that they've done. This is their first serialization. This started on November 28th. There's about three chapters out at the time we're recording this. And Sakamoto Days is basically Way of the House Husband meets Spy Family. <laughs> it's about an ex-assassin who got married, retired from the hitman life, and kind of let himself go a little bit. So he looks kind of like a middle-aged man, but he's actually 29, which is a choice, I will say. But in any case, he settled down, married... A local shop clerk who we fell in love with. They have a child together. They're pretty happy. One day, an ex-underling of his, Shin, who still works for the syndicate that he used to work at, comes to either try and recruit him, or failing that, if Sakamoto refuses, he is tasked with taking him out. 
And Shin tries to do that. Shin has the power of clairvoyance. He can read nines. But of course, he fails to get the job done. But he comes to realize that Sakamoto has a good thing going with his new family. He's just trying to protect his, you know, new happy daily life and then moves Shin. So Shin refuses to kill Sakamoto. He's almost off by syndicate he works for, but Sakamoto saves him. And then Sakamoto gives him a job working at his convenience store. And his clairvoyance comes quite in handy in the job. But after an incident in the second chapter where Sakamoto rescues his wife from a bus hijacking from people who were upset that their favorite manga had been canceled, they are now kind of being investigated by Officer Nakaze. She is trying to investigate the vigilantes who stopped the bus hijacking because she does not believe in using, you know, violence to solve problems. And so she's trying to, you know, find out who these people are, bring them in, not necessarily knowing that they are Sakamoto and Shin, but having heavy suspicions that they are. And then, yeah, she is a new character just recently introduced. And also uh, another aspect recently uh, brought up in the recent chapter, Sakamoto can gain and lose weight easily because if he burns enough calories, he can revert back to how he looked in his prime. But then he, just by eating a little bit, he can, like, regain that weight really easily. <laughs> so that's just another element that allows him to kind of evade, you know, being found out by Nakaze. Because when he rescues her from some drug dealers that kidnapped her, she is in his, like, slender form when she only recognized his, you know, fatter, plumper form. So that's another element introduced. I guess another element also that is important to acknowledge is that the reason Sakamoto gave up the hitman life is that his uh, wife, like when they were dating, like she was upset that he continued to kill people while he was dating her. And so she, to make a point, she threw herself over a ledge uh, of a building because she knew Sakamoto would rescue her, but she wanted to illustrate the point that, hey, you know, if you would have been really sad if I died, right? Well, think about the families, the loved ones, all the people that you kill and how sad they would be. And this is why you shouldn't kill people. And that moved Sakamoto. And so that's what got him to, you know, give up on being an assassin. Mm-hmm. And I like the relationship between uh, Sakamoto and his wife. That's It's a good dynamic and it's a compelling little reason backstory for them getting together and Sakamoto retiring. So yeah, uh, this is, I think, a pretty funny uh, action comedy series so far. I do enjoy the characters, even though it, again, has a lot of similarities to Way of the House Husband and uh, Yosakura family, especially in the fact that both Sakamoto and Tayo use like stun gun weapons. It still manages to have like its own unique charm to its comedy and uh, it has very likable characters. So I think it's quite enjoyable. I guess I will, since everyone points this out, I'll also point this out, is that Sakamoto, yes, he does look a lot like Coach Anzai from Slam Duck. <laughs> so that is also another funny element to it. Uh, look, if you weren't going to say it, I was going to say it. But yeah, um, I don't really have much else to add. I think it's pretty cute and funny. I enjoy it. Um, I was not expecting it to, because I mean, they they make it a point to not have Sakamoto like kill anybody, which I think is good. But like... It's still pretty violent. I think he still he still causes some bodily in- injuries on all the like people he fights. Yeah, I mean he's a strong martial artist. He's got the skills 
for sure, to evade getting hurt. Best demonstrated in his fight with Shen in the convenience store and, like, the way he uses the store to his advantage, the environment to maneuver around Shen and then get one up on him. And then again, when he, like, rescues Shen from the syndicate and stuff. Yeah. He has some really... Uh, great physical skills and the action in this is really solid and really uh well done i think oh yeah it's pretty cool yeah i just i was not expecting this to be still as violent as it was but it's still like i i think it strikes the right balance between like being very lighthearted and comedic but still a really cool action series so i i enjoy that about it and i think uh I think your comparison to both Way of the House Husband and Spy Family, I, I was I didn't think about it like that before, but now I can't unsee it. Um Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's um I think this is so far turning out to be a pretty fun uh a pretty fun series. Um I'm definitely gonna keep reading it, so yeah, I also like the dynamic between Sakamoto and Shin. Like, I like in fights that Shin can use his clairvoyance to guide Sakamoto, like, most recently demonstrated in the most recent chapter. And, like, they cause, like, a smoke screen in the drug dealer's dead, and, like, Shin uses clairvoyance to let Sakamoto know, like, where other people are so he can evade and take them out. That was pretty cool strategy. I like that team dynamic they have in terms of the fights in combat. Yeah, I I also like how Shin being a clairvoyant kind of gives Sakamoto to the excuse to not like speak out loud, but still like talking his thoughts a la like a like a Garfield kind of character almost. Yeah, that's another funny element too. Like he's a man of few words, but he does think a lot, and that's how Shin can understand him. Also, sh- shout out to Joey Weiser who uh, pointed out that uh, when he reads Sakamoto Days, he imagines Lorenzo Music voicing Sakamoto. And now I can't unhear it. It's pretty great. That would be so perfect. But yeah, no, I don't think I have much else to say other than, you know, if you if you want something along the lines of, again, Way of the House Husband and Spy Family, this'll this'll feel that itch, you know? Yeah. I mean <laughs> the this is like the third kind of assassin slash spy kind of series in the jump family right now, but I still think it does enough unique to make it very enjoyable and stand out on its own. So, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. I would recommend it. I mean, you know, we we also have, like, what is it? We also have two manga about wizards and magic in Shonen Jump yeah. as well. So, but it's, like, it's interesting that this is another new emerging genre trend of, like, spy family series. <laughs> I, I think like um, we had the ex- supernatural exorcist series. We have like fantasy series, and now we have like spy family series. Like there are emerging like repeated genres that, that a lot of premises are being spun out of. I would not be surprised if Jump Editorial is still kicking themselves for not having their own spy family. I mean, I think that's what led to Mission Yosakura family, right? That's what like, hey. This could be, we had a spy family in Jump Plus, now we have a spy family series in our magazine, and now, hey, here's another one! We can have two! Why why sell for one? Spy family's doing so well, it's a current family, is doing really promisingly, and we can add another one on top. Let's see how many people will like. The, the, the next step is to have a crossover between Spy Family, Yozakura Family, and Sakamoto Days. I would like to see that. I'm I'm always a big fan of crossovers. <laughs> and there hasn't been one in Jump recently, I don't think so. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, I don't think so. I think that One Piece Toriko one was the last one. 
No, no, that was a decade ago. There's been the Kuroko Hinamara Sumo one. There's the oh, musical no, yeah, 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 IQ right. one. There's even more than can come to mind right now. Oh, there's the classroom Psyche K one. Oh, okay, yeah, you're you're there's you're, a lot. You're totally right. Okay, I totally forgot about all those. Um. Uh, but yeah, I, I think we recommend Sakamoto Days so far. It's 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 pretty fun, so go and read it. Yeah, but we also got a few more editions, or we have co- more coming editions, because there seems to be a string of new Promise of Relevant Bonus chapters. The one that's out right now is the Crone one-shot, though, I mean, by the time you're listening to this, the Isabella one-shot is going to come out too, because that'll be out on the 13th. But we read the Crone one-shot, and... I, these one-shots, I think, are in promotion of the movie that's going to come out. But, yeah, so this Crone one-shot is called Seeking the Sky of Freedom. It's basically following Sister Chrome's days in the mom uh, training academy, basically. And it basically reveals that she had, like, a, you know, older friend called Cecile, who was from the same pharmacist that she grew up with. She was, like, her best friend. And she is also in the same mom academy, and she's looking out for Crone. And they come up with a plan to, like, escape together, because in the program, in the class they're in, only one person is going to end up becoming a sister. So, you know, everyone else basically will get killed it's presumably so they decide you know rather than wait for that we're gonna escape and like cecile has been creating this map of the headquarters that she's seemingly inherited from other people in the past and they are planning to use that to navigate the compound and escape and they are trying to figure out a way before they do that to deactivate the chips that are in their chests and they think that the watch that the mom holds the mom who, like, trains them holes is the key to, like, deactivating those chips. Eventually, Chrome comes out with a strategy to, while the mom is in the bat, or grandma, rather, is in the bat, she takes the watch away. But when she does, she realizes that the watch has the trackers and not a way to deactivate the chips. And then, it seems like Cecile betrays her and tattles on her for stealing the watch and was manipulating her the entire time and so embittered by that crone proves to grandma that cecile was the ringleader by revealing the map of the headquarters that she had embroidered and that gets cecile executed or sacrificed to the demons instead while crone gets to continue in the program and eventually become the sister and Eventually get to the point that we see in the beginning of Promised Neverland. But the final twist to this one shot is that Cecile did not betray Crone. This was her plan at the beginning was to throw herself under the bus so that Crone would get the conviction and the strength to persevere through the program and live on and survive. And it ends up being quite ironic that like she wanted... she. Went through all this, she sacrificed herself, she threw herself under the bus so that Crone would live, but as we know in the story, Crone ultimately ends up getting killed anyway. But it ends on kind of this note that, hey, you know, one day, I, I wish I could have looked at this eye, and when that day comes, you'll be me looking at this guy. So it's like, maybe in debt and in heaven, like, they're both together, and they could be under the same sky again or something. So, it was kind of an interesting, uh, 
backstory, I mean, it's kind of retcon sister, Crohn's backstory, they add in this character who was so important to her uh, motivations and character and how she became who she is as a seal, you know, uh, just totally, totally, this was uh, something we always knew, but, you know, it's uh, it's a fine enough story. I kind of feel like the extra twist that Cecile was actually looking out for Crone this whole time and wanted her to survive, and that's why she did this. I was kind of like, I, I mean, I had an excuse for that because, again, ultimately, that's not the tragedy. The irony of that is that, and she didn't survive. Like she survived the sister program, but she gets killed anyway. So she never really got her freedom in the way that Cecile had hoped for. So. It's tragic, ironic. It's a fine story that I guess does a good enough job revealing like how Sister Crone became the way she is in terms of being this super competitive. I am going to survive no matter what. Like I won't trust anyone else. I'm just going to use everyone else. And like revealing that the root of that single-minded desire to survive herself and push other people under the bus to propel herself forward is because she had been betrayed by someone she loved in the past. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a it's a fine story for Jessica Crone, but it's not the most satisfying, again, because of the destination of where Sister Crone's arc leads into the story. So that Cecile's sacrifice is, again, kind of moot in the end. I'm, I don't know. I, I thought, um, I, I, I kind of liked that almost in how tragic it is like i actually thought uh i mean i wasn't like in tears or anything but like i i felt like the very last page of the one shot was still a nice like little gut punch like oof that's uh that's tragically ironic um yeah is that in, in a sense they're both free but you know well i mean they're both dead yeah i know but like, i guess the optimism is that in heaven or whatever like they can imagine themselves being together under the blue sky yeah so so in a way like in a way they got what they wanted but not really and like i well i guess a good detail is that in the end like when cecile dies she doesn't get to look at the sky when she's dead but i guess when crone died she she was able to look at the sky when she died so I guess that is the one thing that she got that Cecile didn't get, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I kind of like the tragedy of it personally. I think it gives a good punch to an otherwise, like, just okay story, you know? Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess I do appreciate the twist that she wasn't, like, this one-dimensional manipulator, you know? Because if it had ended before that, it would have been, like, yeah, that's a fine enough story, but I guess with the extra three pages to reveal the twist, it's like, well, this gives, like, more human dimension to Cecile, and it gets a, again, that bittersweet irony to Crone's fate yeah. in the story. That, the you know, like, Cecile sacrificed herself so Crone would live, but ultimately Crone also died. Yeah, I mean... Actually, in retrospect, I'm kind of glad they added that twist. I like, yeah. Like at first, I wasn't, I wasn't sure how I felt about it, but in retrospect, I'm glad it's there just because, like, it's pretty obvious that like Cecile was gonna screw her over at the last minute. I, I saw the twist coming a mile away, so yeah. You know, I'm I'm glad they kind of added something interesting at the end there. So again, overall, I I thought this was fine. Um, I'm kind of interested in what the next one shot about Isabella is going to be like. Yeah, because you feel like you've seen 
pretty much all you need to know from Isabella from her backstory, but I mean, I don't know. I guess we don't see a lot of her mom academy days, I guess. Maybe we'll go into that. So, who knows? I mean, I like Isabella in general, so I'm not opposed to seeing another story about her. So, we will see. I mean, honestly, I still think she's one of the most interesting characters in Promise Neverland. Oh, for sure. So, yeah. I'm, I'm not opposed to learning more about Isabella, just as long as it, as long as it doesn't, like, as long as there's no, like, dumb retcons in it or anything, you know? Um, mm. you know, and it doesn't give us like too much unnecessary information that like somehow dilutes. The, I don't know. Uh, I guess, I guess we'll see, but I'm sure, I'm sure it'll, it'll at least be fine. Um, and you know, again, but by the time you're listening to this podcast, I know it's already out. Um, but, um, we'll just have to wait until a, maybe a later episode of the podcast to talk about it at some point. Cause I'm sure we'll, yeah. I'm sure we'll have some thoughts on it, but uh, for now, um, it looks like, you know, I'm, I'm sure that one's going to be available on the Shonen Jump app as well. So, it, yeah, you know, if anyone is interested in reading more Promised Neverland, it's right there on the Jump app. So there you go. Um, but we still have way more serialization news to talk about. And I guess uh, I guess the next thing to talk about real quickly is that there is a new Deadpool manga coming to Shonen Jump Plus in Japan uh, entitled Deadpool Samurai created by uh, Sanjiro Kasama and Hikaru Uesugi. And uh, it seems like this is based on a previous, like, one-shot of the same name that uh, I guess came out around the time where uh, Shonen Jump Plus was doing a bunch of, like, crossover stuff with Marvel in particular. And so, yeah, I guess they're turning that into its own series. Uh, I'm interested in seeing whether this will get picked up in English for, like, Manga Plus outside of Japan. I mean, personally, I kind of doubt it. Because I'm sure there's like, I'm sure there's extra like, like, uh, you know, licensing stuff going on behind the scenes that may, because it's a Marvel thing that like, might keep it from being available in English. But I don't know, like, I'd, I'd be interested in, in a Deadpool manga just in general. So yeah, I would like to see this be published, whether it's by Manga Plus or Viz or even Marvel themselves. So hopefully we will see this come out over here because again that does sound pretty neat a Deadpool manga. I think um I I saw it somewhere I I think I saw either like like an advert for it or like a, a color page from it where like it's it's Deadpool as the baby from like Lone Wolf and Cub like it's clearly in like the stroller or whatever so I wonder yeah so so I wonder if like I'm I'm sure. This manga will probably parody that at some point, or maybe maybe the entire thing's just a parody of Lone Wolf and Cub. We don't know, so that'd be pretty funny. I'm curious to see. I mean, you can do all sorts of crazy things with Deadpool. So yeah, him just riffing on different manga premises, parodies of different manga. Yeah, go for it. But there's a bunch of other new manga on the way, including a lot of uh, manga sequels and a lot of new manga from established creators so Swedish and out Tokyo Ghoul Vane also has a new manga that's coming out soon called New Chojin X. Swedish and I has finished a storyboard for it he revealed like kind of a image from it which is like uh, I guess like kind of a monster thing and then kind of like a topless guy next to the monster thing so not too much to go on but it's interesting to see that he's working on a new human and of course the title of the series implies it's going to be about superhumans so curious to see the direction he will take you know his follow-up series to Tokyo Ghoul mm-hmm. I, I would not be surprised if if this got picked up for like a simul pub somewhere 
Oh, yeah, considering a big Tokyo ghoul is. Like, if it is published within the Jump family, that is very likely. And next up, we've got a bunch of spin-off sequel stuff. So we knew that there was going to be a 7 release Sin sequel coming. And finally, it has been announced that it will launch in Weekly Shonen Magazine on January 27th. It is going to be called The Four Nights of the Apocalypse. And the cover image basically teases a few things. I think that it is going to be about the son of Meliodas and Elizabeth. And I thought, I mean, I don't know if we know that much more about it. But yeah, probably it's going to be just another next gen story with the kids of the seven Lily Sins uh, characters. But yeah, that's coming uh, next year. And. Potentially that'll get simulpopped like something since was, so we'll see. We'll see what uh, Kadensha does with it. I could see that, yeah. And this is supposed to be like a short-form thing, because after this, I think Suzuki said he wanted to serialize a new work, so who knows if it's going to be really a long-running thing or just kind of like a short-form thing, so... But we've got three new Gundam manga spin-offs coming in Gundam Ace... We've got a OL office lady like Haman spin-off from Masakazu Iwasaki called Arza OL Hamansama or 30-ish office worker Hamansama, which is again, it's gonna be Haman, the main antagonist of Seda Gundam, Zizi Gundam, as like a modern corporate section chief in an apparel company named Neozian, which sounds very funny. And then we've got a Another series called Raw Feast, Ramba Raw's Immortal Meal from Tani, which is going to be a gourmet manga starring Ramba Rao tending to the club Eden nightclub while staff are away and eating freely without anyone bothering him. That's going to be supervised by Tsunami Suzuki for the cooking gourmet portions. And each chapter is going to have an afterword by Suzuki coming on the chapter featured meal. So, uh, cooking manga featuring Ramba Rao also sounds really, really fun. And another series that we don't know too much about is Amoru Tobuko or My uh, Amuro by Uzamui Wakai and Sidoshi Takamiya, which is also supposed to come out in December. And, I mean, I guess it's just going to be about Amuro. So, yeah, and I... I this isn't in this uh, press release news roundup, but I'm also heard that there's going to be a reborn as Cassilia Zabi manga, kind of following the villain reborn as a villainous tradition. There's going to be a reborn as Cassilia Zabi uh, manga spinoff of Gundam, which also sounds amazing. So I'm looking forward to that too. A lot of interesting new uh, Gundam spinoffs coming. Which I'm looking forward to. I hope they get picked up. Because, uh, I mean, just from the premises alone, they look like a lot of fun. I'm keen to read them. One I also hope that gets picked up in terms of spinoffs is a new Shaun King Shoujo spinoff about the uh, witches of the series. Uh, Shaman King and a Garden. It's going to be uh, supervised by Kay. And it's going to be uh, organized by Jet Kuzumura, which... I mean, I think that means it's just, he's just going to write it. And Kyo Nuizawa, or Nuizawa is drawing the manga. It's basically going to be the past of Kana, Matilda, and Marianne. So, yeah, these are characters that are I always enjoyed in the Shaman King story. 
And, you know, they were, like, characters, I think, to K really like, too, because he definitely planned for them to show up for a long time because they're, like, on the cover page of the very first uh, chapter. So you were like, oh, man, when are these characters going to show up? So they got a fair amount to do in the story, but I'm definitely curious and interested in a manga, like, about their backstory because I didn't totally get explored in the Shaman King manga itself, so... I mean, we got a lot of it, but it was always interesting that, like, Kana is, like, ten years older than the other two. So there's definitely a story there, like, their relationship before they met Hal. So, yeah, I'm very interested in this Hanagumi spinoff manga. And, yeah, definitely looking forward to it. Hopefully, maybe it gets picked up by Kanansha as well for, and released on uh, Kamisaji. And, yeah, look forward to that. But those are a bunch of spinoffs on the way, but there are a lot of series ending. Just as new series are beginning, a lot of things are ending. So, I mean, the one that we know that is definitely ending is Chainsaw Man. By the time you're listening to this podcast, Chainsaw Man will be over. I mean, if you've read the recent chapters, it is uh, definitely clear. I mean, you know, the Denji uh, seemingly has won and uh, gets to live his normal life now, so... Yeah, I'm looking forward to see how the last chapter of Chainsaw Man wraps things up. And, you know, there's another important announcement that's supposed to be announced alongside this last chapter. So presumably that'll be an anime announcement. So, I mean, it could be anything, but I think it's very likely it'll be an anime announcement. So, yeah, that'd be something to look forward to, too. All right, so I definitely need to cut into the middle of the episode here. Uh, to make an addendum about uh, the Chainsaw Man stuff, because two important announcements actually came out upon the debut of the very final chapter of Chainsaw Man Part 1. Um, so so first off, Chainsaw Man is getting an anime from MAPPA, uh, so that's exciting. Love and I think that uh, MAPPA does really great work, and... Uh, from 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 the little I've seen of like Jujutsu Kaisen and like uh, and I, the rest of their stuff, I don't know how many Mappa anime I've, I've actually seen. Now that I think about it, uh, but anyway, I I know that they do good work, and I I trust them to do good work with Chainsaw Man. I'm definitely going to be watching that week to week, um, but that that's kind of all we know about that right now. Uh, is that Chainsaw Man is getting a TV anime? Uh, no other info on that just yet, but I'm sure we'll get some more info. Pretty soon in the future. Uh, the other biggest important announcement that came out of Chainsaw Man ending is that it's technically not ending. So this is interesting. Uh, so as I alluded to just a bit ago, uh, part one of the manga has ended. The public safety arc in particular has ended. And what I mean by that is that Chainsaw Man is basically moving from Weekly Shonen Jump to Jump Plus. Uh, now, with Chainsaw Man moving to Jump Plus, uh, I'm assuming that means that uh, it'll probably be able to get away with all kinds of wacky shit. Because uh, Jump Plus in particular, for anybody who doesn't know, is basically the platform that uh, where you can read Weekly Shonen Jump, but also manga series exclusive to the app like Spy Family, Kaiju Number no. 8, Ghost Reaper Girl, all kinds of stuff. Uh, oh, and... Uh, Hell's Paradise, Jigoku Raku, of course. Um, but uh, Jump Plus, I think, will be a good place for Chainsaw Man to run just because uh, 
Jump Plus is kind of known for having less content restrictions. So if you thought Chainsaw Man was already wacky as shit when it came to its content, uh, I am very much looking forward to seeing what Tatsuki Fujimoto will be able to get away with uh, running on Jump Plus. Um, but uh, yeah, so it looks like we are getting a Chainsaw Man Part 2 which is really cool. Personally, I'm really glad that uh, Chainsaw Man isn't over. I mean, not not that I didn't like the final chapter, but I'm I'm just glad we're getting more of Chainsaw Man. I I I think I'd be fine with uh, with Chainsaw Man going the route of like JoJo's almost, where like every subsequent manga series is like its own arc, which is what I'm assuming is probably going to happen. Because uh, also interestingly enough. Um, there are listings for Volume 11 of Chainsaw Man online in Japan right now. And uh, interestingly enough, Chainsaw Man Volume 11 is listed as the final volume. So I don't know if that means when Chainsaw Man Part 2 is eventually collected in the volumes that maybe it'll have like a... Uh, maybe it'll have like a different title or at least like a subtitle or something like Chainsaw Man Shippuden or something. I don't know, but... Uh, it is interesting that they seem to be, like, really actually dividing this up into parts uh, to the point where volumes are going to, like, again, volumes are going to obviously be titled something different. I also wonder about, with this move to Jump Plus, whether, A, if Viz will pick up the next part, and B, if it'll still be allowed to run on the Shonen Jump app or like a web-only series like with uh, Ayakashi Triangle. But again, this is all all this is speculation. We don't really know for sure. I'm sure Viz will probably pick up the next part of Chainsaw Man, or at least I really hope so. Um, but yeah, again, just, just wanted to cut in here and say that, uh, yeah, a, a, a bit more news for Chainsaw Man. Uh, coming out of this very important announcement than either of us thought, I think. Uh, it, it's really telling when the most surprising announcement isn't that it got an anime announcement. But again, I'm very happy about this news. Can't wait for more Chainsaw Man. Uh, and now back to the show. And also, speaking of some popular series in Jump Ending, we never learn. It is nearing the end of the Carizio arc. By the time that you are listening to this, the last chapter of the Carizio root will be out. However, We Never Learn will probably not end by the time that you are listening to this, but may end the week after, because we know that Taishi Suisui has drawn the final storyboard of We Never Learn. However, it has not been announced to end in the next issue. However, it is currently rumored that will end in the issue after next that will be out on the 20th so with the 187th chapter so kind of like either the curious is going to have an extra chapter or what i'm thinking is going to be is that it's going to have an epilogue that will probably just be included with the curious volume when it comes out so yeah uh, we never learn is also probably going to come to its end at the end of this year just like Chainsaw Man. So Jump would be losing two of its bigger series back-to-back uh, -back weeks. But other big series in the Jump family are ending. Moriarty the Patriot. You know, the anime just came out. The manga just came out over here. But presumably it'll be reaching its climax very soon with its 14th volume. It's reaching its climax. The final problem, Mark, and his home's 
fans know, Final Problem is the name of the final story arc in uh, Sherlock Holmes, the original stories by Arthur Conan Doyle. It's the final story. So presumably that's like the final arc of this manga. And if it doesn't end in the 14th volume, I mean, that's probably going to start this final arc of the series. So presumably Moriarty the Patriot could be coming to its end very, very soon. Another series ending very soon is Farewell, My Dear Kramer by Naoshi Arakawa. That will be ending, I mean, it's already ended by the time you're listening to this, because the final chapter came out on December 4th, and this has been simul-published by Kanancha Comics, so you can read that final chapter out right now, but yeah, this has had a healthy five-year run, and, you know, I'm curious to read up on it and see just... How well it concluded, because that's definitely been uh, kind of on my list for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I need to read this as well. Mm-hmm. And speaking of stuff published by Kadansha, Silent Pop Kadansha, Attack on Titan is also so close to ending. Ugh. It has been reported by Isayama himself that is one to two percent away from completion. So presumably, a chapter or two more. I also have been waiting for it to end before just reading through it to the end. But, yeah, Attack on Titan, very, very close ending. And, I mean, it, it's got to end in order for, like, the new anime season to adapt its through to the end, I'm sure. So, that should be wrapping up any month now. Yeah, I, I think I think we talked about last year how uh, Isayama literally announced, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, like, this close to ending. And it's it's been a year since then. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I think we were kind of talking off mic. But, yeah, I, I think Attack, Attack on Titan, I think, is weirdly, like, dragging its feet. Like, at least that, that's the way it comes off to me. Like, I'm kind of surprised they haven't just announced that, yeah, it's ending or whatever. Like, I, I, I guess I just... I don't know what else is there for Isayama to do. Just be, and you know, I haven't read, I haven't been reading Attack on Titan, so uh, maybe, maybe you know, maybe I'm not privy to certain details. But you know, I'm as someone who's not even reading it, I'm I'm also just kind of waiting for it to end, so I can also just start reading it at some point. So, mm-hmm. but that does it for updates on series that are ending or nearing its end. But there are some other updates to ongoing serializations, namely Burn the Witch. Now at the end of the First, a serialization season of Burn the Witch. There was an announcement that Burn the Witch Season 2 will be coming soon, but it may not be coming soon. In an interview with Natalie Comic, Kubo said that his editor wanted to put, like, a Season 2 announcement at the end of the first chapter, uh, the final chapter of Season 1. So he did that, but, like, the coming soon was written around his petition, and... Season 2 is still presumably going to come, but it's not coming soon. Kubo doesn't know, like, how soon Season 2 is actually coming. So, (laughs) you know, we don't know when the next round of Burn the Witch chapters is coming, but they will come, but maybe just not as soon as you may have previously thought. I I think this is going to be a thing where, like, I think Kubo is going to have Season 2 out when he feels like it. Uh, Yes. Like, I, I think we mentioned this before, like, I... I, I, I kind of like this for Kubo in particular because obviously Kubo got burnt out on Bleach at some point, and I think that really affected his work, as far as I could tell anyway. But, like, I'm happy for Kubo in that he's in a position kind of like Togashi almost, where it's like, yeah, sure, like, uh, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do stuff for you, Shonen Jump, but it's going to be on my own time, you know? Like, I'm... I'm just glad that's a thing that some of these veteran authors, like, that's like a privilege that they're kind of receiving at this point. Like, I, I think they've earned it, you know? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think this is a healthy approach to just draw 
when he feels up for it and to just work on the story at his own pace, you know? So I think it's nice to take a break from the rigors of a weekly deadline and just be able to draw a set of chapters, a volume's worth of chapters, have them come out, and then take a rest period, and then when he's creatively energized, return to it. That's kind of how Takashi's strategy has been going. And yeah, I think it is a very good way to approach things. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll we'll let you guys know when there's more info on Burn the Witch Season 2. But uh, there's also been another small shakeup, if you want to call it that, that we should probably talk about as well. Yes, Masashi Kichimoto has taken over as the writing for the Boruto manga from Ukyo Kodachi. And basically that has happened as of the most recent chapter, the 52nd chapter. So presumably going forward, Kishimoto is going to directly write the Boruto manga instead of being kind of the supervisor for it. So this is an interesting shakeup. I think this is definitely happening only because Samurai 8 got canceled. And I guess Kishimoto now has time on his hands to be like, you know what? I want to still write stuff. So let me take charge of writing Boruto now. I don't know what this really means for Ukyo Kadachi. I mean, now that he's not writing Boruto, like what is he going to do now? Maybe Ukyo Kadachi just wants to move on to write his own story or something. I'm, Curious, because it is definitely odd that Kodachi has just been kind of very quickly kind of uh, pushed aside from the Boruto manga, like in mid-arc, too. Mm-hmm. So I, I really wonder the full circumstances for this. But, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how this changes the way Boruto is written, because Boruto has been pretty well done so far. I don't know how heavy Kishimoto's input has been on it. so. I mean, it's hard to know what comes from him, what comes from Kadachi. I think that there was definitely some anachronisms and some weird uh, lore jumbling in the recent chapter that feels very Kishimoto that's concerning. I think a lot of people who have been protesting and worried about this are uh, probably not really reading the manga, though, because like a lot of people were like, oh no, there goes Sonata's character arc, and like, in the manga, Serata has not had a lot to do. <laughs> like, most... Serata is very prominent in the anime. Has had great stuff in the anime, but not a whole lot in the manga. So it's like, the anime and manga are, like, handled completely differently in terms of how they are written and stuff. So, uh, you know, if you're an anime fan, I don't think you have too much to worry about with how the anime is going to go. But with the manga, I wonder what direction things are going with certain characters and certain plot beats and yeah the overall direction of it mm-hmm. but you know i mean i wasn't too crazy on the most recent chapter so i don't know how much of that was kishimoto or how much of that was you know left over from what kadachi was doing but we'll see we'll see how things shape up with boruto from now on i'm i'm kind of i'm kind of surprised that like you know instead of just kicking out kodachi outright like i'm i'm kind of i don't know i'm kind of surprised they didn't at least like uh i'm surprised they're not going with like a toriyama toyotaro kind of thing where it's like i think that's what it was at first and now was it okay it's like no now now i'm just writing this myself yeah i don't know that that just that just seems so weird to do like in the middle of an arc almost like yeah i don't know in the middle of a fight, even. Maybe maybe Kishimoto's just that bored right now, and he's just looking for stuff to do. I don't know. It just... Yeah. I don't know. It it, it it just seems like a weird decision. It is disappointing to see Kishimoto 
return to the well of Naruto instead of, you know, trying to make a new story. But I don't know. I guess Samurai didn't work out. So just like other authors that had kind of like a one big hit and really have not been able to get anything else after that off the ground, maybe, you know, he's just falling back on his big hit that he's familiar with. Maybe just biding time until his next idea. But well, I guess we'll see. I feel bad for Kishimoto because I'm. it really seemed like he put a lot of thought into Samurai 8 only for it to not be. He did. Yeah. But it was too much thought into this world when he should have probably been focusing on making the readers resonate with the characters. So Yeah. Anyway, uh, we should probably move on to some more interesting news. I mean, this is just a couple updates on like... A few epilogues me add to the final volumes of some jump series that ended earlier this year, namely Demon Slayer and Yuna. Now, the Demon Slayer final volume is not really having an epilogue so much. It's like 14 pages that are add-ons to like the final chapters of the story that were cut out of the serialization. So these are like leftover pages that were not included with the main serialization, but now are getting a chance to be included in the final volume of Demon Slayer. And I've seen like kind of the leaks of what those pages are it seems like you know really nice pages uh some additions to the story so those are some good bonus stuff for the final volume of demon slayer mm, i i wonder why those pages had to be cut in the first place is my only question uh restrict page restrictions probably for you know publishing jump like they couldn't go over a certain page count mm. but maybe they thought they could but in the end they couldn't mm, i guess that makes sense Printing a bunch of copies of a magazine, like, you kind of have to finalize, like, what length the book is going to be and, like, you know, juggle the page counts of all these series to kind of fit it all in there. So mm -hmm. perhaps, like, Gotoge drew all these pages as part of their storyboard or initially, you know, thinking that they could have some extra room for more epilogue pages, but ultimately they couldn't do that for the final chapter. But now they are able to include these. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I haven't read Demon Slayer yet, but uh, I'm, I'm definitely interested in uh, checking out this final volume when it comes out, so. Yes, and Yuna is going to have a 46-page epilogue story with its final volume. So that is going to have quite a big hefty epilogue chapter, which would be interesting, probably, you know, life happily ever after for the characters. Mm-hmm. But that does it for our serialization news. And now we're going to head into licensing news. And there was a lot of licensing news. There was a lot of announcements from all the publishers. Of course, we are going to follow in our recent tradition of only highlighting a select few licenses that really stuck out to us that we are excited for. So sadly, we won't be covering everything that has been announced. But... There is definitely a lot to look forward to. Oh, yeah. Like, seriously, there's so much licensing news. Like, this this could have been an entire episode in and of itself. Yes. Now, I think to start off with, though, we should mention a few general publisher updates. Seven Seas has announced that they have a new imprint for their light novels called Seven Seas Airship. Basically, all the light novels and prose novels that they publish will be under the airship banner. This is going to begin in January 2021. Backlist titles like light novels and that they've already published are also going to be included in this imprint over time. And they've already announced a couple of licenses for this imprint. A few 
stick out as you know potentially like pretty big series like we've got a monster musume light novel series monster girls on the job which is like basically all the characters from that series like doing like jobs like just recounting them doing like uh shenanigans at their jobs they have like kind of one of a a bigger like reincarnation of villainous story that i've seen or heard about recently accomplishments of the duke's daughter that's going to be published under this imprint next summer uh reincarnate is a dragon hatchling is kind of like so i'm a spider so what but with a dragon instead that's going to be published next summer so they've got a couple of interesting new titles and we aren't going to go over them all oh hello world is another probably bigger one that's also coming out next summer all the ones that i've just talked about are coming out in july all the you know first new titles of this imprint are coming out in july and hello world is uh, notable just because it had a fairly popular film adaptation uh last year so that's uh that's one to to look out for as well so yeah quite a strong debut lineup for the new airship imprint and there's more Seven Seas uh, industry stuff to talk about, but we'll we'll go through the licenses first before getting to that because that ties into other big industry shakeup things. Another thing to mention though is that Viz Originals Viz has announced some new like stuff for their Originals imprint, and these are kind of interesting. Like they've announced Devil's Candy is going to be published under them. Devil's Candy is a webcomic that's been going on for a while by Rem and drawn by Bikuri. It's a, as they describe it, you know, ghoulish supernatural uh, action adventure. It had a Kickstarter last year to publish its first, like, book independently. So it's cool to see that it's got picked up for, you know, released by Viz. And, you know, it's about, you know, it takes place in a world of monsters. There's a young uh, imp named Kazu. He makes a human-like girl for his ninth grade Science project called him Flora, and then he introduces her to you know their uh, his hellish high school, and so it's just like a comedic daily life of the of the, like this imp kid and like the the human girl he kind of made is it's kind of a fun little horror comedy series. So yeah, that seems interesting. As well as they also announced another one called. Uh, World Peace by Josh Turney and drawn by Agroshka. And yeah, this is also coming out next summer as well for them. And this is about an alien artifact shrinks the earth. And so the main protagonist, Lucas, has the whole world literally in his hands, which is a good uh, concept. It's a good premise. So definitely curious about this. The art looks really good for this as well. So some good old new titles uh, under the Wiz Originals imprint that are being published here. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, if we want to go over, I guess, some of, like, the licenses that we're looking forward to from, like, the big publishers. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm interested in hearing what your list is, actually. Yeah. So, first of what I'm really excited for coming from Fudakia is a simulpub they're doing, their first ever simulpub, Pink Card Jam by Shike. Now, it's going to debut with the first two chapters on December 24th, the same day that the second chapter is debuting in Shueisha's Metal Kiss Digital Magazine in Japan, and then subsequent chapters are going to launch simultaneously with a Japanese release. So I'm really excited, you know, that Furukuya is doing simulpubs, uh, all with ongoing BL series in Japan. I'm definitely I'm keen to keep up with this. So this series is about a country boy named Haiga. He has many questions he wants to learn the answers to when he moves to the city for university. And one of them happens to be, do I like guys too? So he's really 
you know, exploring his sexuality. And so his upper classmen one day dare him to check out a box bar behind Shinjuku's Nichomi district. And he uses this opportunity to find out the answer to his question and runs into his senior Kane, who has one simple solution for him, close off. So, you know, kind of an interesting coming of age story, like about this kid trying to, you know, figure out his sexuality and potentially getting into his first relationship with an upperclassman. So I'm definitely looking forward to this. And I'm glad that this one has been picked up for an official uh, serialization because this author has had, you know, a little bit of a fraught start to this series because... You know, initially they canceled publishing the second chapter of the series earlier in October because of the series getting unofficial translations on various websites, Oof. like being pirated. And so they saw that it had been uploaded authorization countless times on like Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, a lot of pirated websites. And that really disheartened them and... In their own words, they said that this makes it hard for the comic to be serialized because it's very painful and unbearable for me to see them upload my works as they want. And they appeal to the readers to, you know, enjoy their works within the rules and laws. So that delayed the second chapter. But I'm glad that they are working with Fudekia now to have an official English translation of the work. And it's going to be simulpubbed. I think this is a really happy end to this situation and the publication of the series. And I'm looking forward to following it. Now, we've also got another set of BL series coming from a publisher you know, a localization company that's been around for a while, but now they're getting to the publishing game themselves, Local Manga. They're a Dallas-based company. They've done localization on over a hundred BL series, you know, according to their own website and stuff. You know, they've been around since 2018. And, I mean, according to their representative, like, they are, they consider themselves a boutique localization company specializing in boys love manga. And they have expanded to other genres, but like they support direct localization and publishing cooperation with artists, and they want to eventually offer print releases of their titles. But they've started with their first two licenses as digital only releases. The first one of these is already out. Uh, they came out in November, and that's The Perfect Sun. And The Perfect Sun is by Riru, and it's about an average delivery man named Satoru Ichihashi, who has a secret relationship with the head of the Aikawa Corp, Yukia Kaiji, and he adores him and his refined nature, but he has a family, and but even so, Satoru is still besotted with him. But things become complicated when Yukia's son, Kyosuke, visits his workplace to demand that Satoru break up with his father. But Satoru refuses, saying there's no other man besides Yukia and dares Kyosuke that if he satisfies him better than his father, he might change his mind. So Sakura Shigen, Kyosuke takes the dare a bit more seriously than he thought. So this is kind of a love triangle kind of thing between this dad and his son and then this office worker guy. So pretty steamy like think situation here <laughs> and so like the complete work of this is being uh has been published digitally by a local manga curiously like this was supposed to also be published on futakia earlier this year but there was a delay perhaps uh local manga picking this up was uh contributing to that 
But in addition to this, they also have licensed another manga by the same author, Prince Noir. But I, I tried looking up something, about, anything about this series, but I couldn't really even find a premise about it. But yeah, that's going to come out in the beginning of 2021. But yeah, so it's cool to see like another publisher getting into publishing BL series. And Perfect Sun may not perfectly appeal to me necessarily in terms of its premise, but I do think that it's cool to see again. Just more publishers in this uh, space and... I think it's always a good thing to just have more uh, people out there providing more cool uh, queer manga. And I am curious to see what else local manga picks up and publishes. Next, we've got a title from Soul Press that I'm excited for because I really enjoyed the anime for this a few years ago, Blend S by Miyuki Nakayama. This is about a girl who looks for a part-time job, Maika Sakura no Mia, and she gets hired by a cafe where each of the waitresses plays a different character type. And because she has this pretty scary look in her eyes, she's asked to play the role of a sadist. And to her surprise, she's actually quite good at it. So it's just a daily life story about a bunch of characters working at this eccentric cafe. And yeah, I enjoyed Glendis when the anime came out. I'm surprised it took this long for it to get licensed, but glad that it has. I enjoyed the characters in that series. Of course, the opening theme of the anime is, just makes it so memorable because smile, sweet, sister, sadistic, surprise. You know, I there were some really great prints I saw at a con a year or two ago that I really wanted to get just with uh, representing all the characters with their, like, a gimmick role, but uh, unfortunately I wasn't able to pick it up. But yeah, Blend Us, a uh, really funny series. Looking forward to checking out the manga version. Next, there are two digital firsts from Kadansha that are coming out in January that I'm looking forward to or I'm at least very intrigued about. First is Hera Marriage by Non that's going to come out on January 5th. It is about a woman who, like, the man, like, she loved, like, she what he she finds out that he was cheating on his wife with her, and he was the third guy in a row that that's happened to her. Like, so she's really dejected after this, and she leaves Tokyo to go back to her hometown to reject the future of love and marriage for a simpler life. But things have changed in her hometown. Her parents are struggling. The cafe they ran is closed, and there's a creepy man following her around. So she thinks, you know, she's in danger. That might be it for her. But then she learns her hometown has allowed polygamous marriage, and that man that has been having an eye on her has his sights on her to be his third wife, potentially. So the reason this series is something I want to keep an eye on is because I've heard that this is kind of a more, like, it is kind of a series that approaches the angle of what if, like, a harem manga was done realistically? Like, what if you approached the idea of polyamorous relationships, like, in a real setting with, like, real problems and situations and the way characters or people would behave? So I'm curious to see how it handles uh, this kind of concept and I think it could potentially be very interesting. And it definitely is going for more of a solemn look just based on the cover. So I'm definitely curious to see its angle on this. Now, the next uh, digital series from Financial that's coming out in January, coming on January 12th, is A Couple of Cuckoos from Miki Yoshikawa. Now, this is a series that's 
been pretty big in Weekly Shonen Magazine since it's come out. And it seems like to be another, you know, prospective big hit for Yoshikawa. And this is about, you know, basically these two uh, teenagers. Uh, the main male character is Nagi, and then the female lead is Erika. So the both of them were like switched at birth. And so Nagi is like on his way to a dinner to meet his bird parents and then accidentally meets Erica and Erica is determined to make Nagi a fake boyfriend because she doesn't actually want to get married. But when they arrive to the dinner he finds out that his parents have decided to resolve like the hospital switch situation by having to marry the daughter his bird parents raise, which happens to be Erica. So it's kinda like a a twist on Marmalade Boy, sort of, because in Marmalade Boy, there was this whole situation where you thought that, oh, wait, like, was the male lead actually born to the parents? What is his actual parents, like the, the female lead's parents? Or maybe I have that the other way around, but it's kind of like a, a similar situation. But in this case, like, it's like more convoluted or something either way like it actually is less of a problematic thing in this it seems but regardless like it's kind of an interesting like gimmick premise and i in general i like yoshikawa's twists on rom-com premises and things she does with them like i really like triamonica and so i'm looking forward to this even if the premise is like a little out there and i think that she you know in her hands she'd handle it pretty well and pretty funny so, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Glad it's gotten licensed so I can check it out. And next, uh, I got some stuff from Seven Seas. So I got two things from their ghost ship imprint to start with that kind of caught my eye. One of these is Booty Royale, Never Go Down Without a Fight. That's going to come out in July 2021. So this is about a uh, 18-year-old karate expert named Masora who comes to Tokyo to become a famous singer, but... She's tricked by her sleazy handlers to work in the adult entertainment industry, and her only way out is to survive a martial arts tournament where she has to fight her way through a hundred less full male opponents, and if she loses, she's going to play the ultimate erotic price. So I'm curious about this series, because this is from the artist and writer of Devilman Grimoire, which I've read and I enjoyed, but... The reason why it has me intrigued about this series is because that series is also very, like, loose and liberal with, like, its uh, sexual content and, like, extreme craziness happening. So even though at first read I was, like, considering, hmm, this is a premise that could so easily be very, like, problematic and unfun. Like, I feel like in the hands of uh, Takato, because, like, his writing style when it comes to this sexual kind of stuff is so batshit crazy and insane that it turns around and becomes, like, really fun. Like, I am actually curious about this, and I think it could be quite enjoyable, like, with that kind of crazy bent that I've seen Takato, you know, handle and know that isn't he's known for. But uh, I'm also curious about Shiori's Diary that's going to be coming from 7 Seas in August 2021. And this is about a, a 34-year-old woman named Shiori who her sex life is kind of dried up and like whatever connection she has had to her husband is also dried up. And then she finds out that it her husband is cheating on her and has a lover. So she goes to a class reunion and has a hookup with her first boyfriend. And then that kind of reignites like her sexual passion. And so she is decides she's not going to stop with just one hookup or one guy. So, you know, I think it's 
could be a very interesting story of like a woman like reinvigorating her sex life and like you know just uh putting herself out there to find you know connections with other people loving in so yeah i think this could be a very interesting uh cool premise for a series i'm definitely looking for looking uh into it and i think that it could be uh, yeah pretty it could end up being like a pretty cool story but uh, I have some stuff from the main Seven Seas imprint to talk about that I'm interested in. First up is Seaside Stranger from Kaneki. That's going to come out next summer in July. And the premise of this is that Shun has been living in Okinawa with his grandmother ever since the disaster is coming out to his parents. And then one day he meets Mio, a high school student who recently lost his parents and now spends his day sitting by the sea. And so the two of them, you know, just start to bond and Mio reveals that he's heading for the mainland. And then three years later, an adult Mio returns to Okinawa. He's come to find Shun and reveals what's in his heart. So it sounds like a very sweet, like, uh, coming-of-age queer boy's love story. And yeah, I mean, the art looks very beautiful from the cover. And I think it could be, again, very, very sweet. Next up, I'm interested in the Great Pretender manga, which is uh, authored by Ryota Furusawa, Kiro Kaburagi, Yoshiki Sanamoto, and Daichi Mori. That's coming out in summer 2021. And yeah, I mean, this is about, if you know the Great Pretender show... Like, is uh, Edo Muramakoto may be young, but he's, like, one of Japan's best con men. But he meets his match when he gets tangled up with Laurent Derry, a French con artist with big plans. And that he ends up working in LA with Laurent, a swindle big-time movie producer slash drug dealer. And even though Laurent's plan is a good one, can Makoto trust him? So Great Pretender is a show that I've heard a lot about. And, you know, I haven't watched it yet, but V-Lord raves about it. That it's super fun and stylish and cool. And definitely everything I've seen from it looks really, really appealing. So I'm definitely curious to check out the anime finally. And also really excited for the manga version to come out over here as well. And I'm also excited for the Bloom Into You anthology coming out. Like, Bloom Into You. Recently, Seven Seas published the final line of that. And now the anthology, which is, you know, has a bunch of short stories from a bunch of different authors. That's going to come out next September. And, yeah, it's basically going to be a bunch of collections uh, that are exploring the characters in the world of Bloom Into You. So, I mean, I love Bloom Into You. It's a great series. And I'm definitely curious to see other people's take on those characters and uh, the world of it and then uh, lastly from seven season basically my last uh, license i want to mention overall is kageki shoujo and that's coming out next summer as well july 2021 and kageki shoujo is about the main character sarasa she wants to play the role of oscar in the uh, kyoka acting troupe which is a all-female acting troupe similar to Tarek kazuka review but before she has to do that she has to attend two years at the kyoka school of music and dental arts so she practices singing dancing acting grows with other girls in her year and her roommate which is, who is a former stoic j idol called i but even though she's great at making friends she's really a spoken and her grand ambitions earned her a lot of enemies as well so she has to keep up her upbeat attitude and she her dream of stardom in the face of kind of a competitive environment so Kikiki Shoujo is of course uh, I think the currently running version of it that's been going on since 2015 that has about 10 volumes out since he's previously published the prequel manga Kikiki Shoujo the Coco 
the curtain rises and so now they picked up like the main series and this is also gonna you know get an anime next year too so it's really great timing for that so yeah i mean i'm looking forward to this i know a lot of people are excited for this i've seen the art uh, the art is beautiful i've definitely been meaning to check out uh the curtain rises that has seven seasons published so i'll probably do that before this main series gets published as well so yeah i'm glad to see that the series, uh, the main series is being published. I look forward to reading uh, Sarasa's journey to uh, becoming a great actor in the in the Coke Acting Troupe. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, those are my ten uh, or so, and uh, I think there's a lot to look forward to here. But uh, there's even more that you know I know that you wanted to mention, Colton. So have at it. Yeah. So I picked about. 10 or 11 licenses actually um originally i i i think i spotted about 20 different things that i thought were pretty interesting and i uh i think my final 11 are basically like uh, the ones that i'm definitely the most interested in uh the first publisher i want to talk about is manga planet actually uh they recently licensed a whole bunch of yuri light novels from uh persola inc and uh these specifically are super light novels, which apparently are shorter light novels with about three or four sentences on one page that also include more illustrations and at most are about 10,000 words per volume. So that's interesting. But out of the seven, I thought the one that uh, kind of stuck out most to me was Two Guns Under the Sheet, written by Nanaoku Hoshi and illustrated by Taki Kitao. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, it's already available on Manga Planet to read. And uh, basically, it's about this girl who has a one-night stand uh, with this other girl. But it turns out that uh, she may be the one. And she starts to get feelings for this girl. But uh, before she rushes into a relationship and all that, unfortunately, it turns out that uh, it's possible that this new girl that she has fallen in love with is related to the same organization that she's bound by duty to destroy. So definitely a very interesting twist on, uh, on a Yuri story there. Uh, you fall, you fall in love with another girl and it turns out, Oh, you might have to kill her. Ah, oh, she belongs to another organization. That's, uh, that's definitely unfortunate. But, uh, again, I, I thought out of all the Yuri tiles, they licensed this one, uh, this one sounded the most bonkers to me, honestly. And uh, I guess next up, I want to mention a title from J Novel Club, actually. Uh, they also licensed uh, a few other uh, light novels and whatnot, uh, including uh, She's the Cutest, But We're Just Friends, uh, written by Akamitsu Awamura, with illustrations by Mu, MMU, lowercase. Some of these illustrators have very interesting pen names. Um and th this one basically is is a pretty straightforward story. Like it's basically about this guy who, after he gets enrolled into high school, uh, he starts making friends with this other girl who basically has all the same like otakuish hobbies as him, like video games and anime and stuff. And they start like really hitting it off and hanging out together, uh, you know, playing video games, reading manga, and singing anime songs at karaoke. And it's very cute and. J Novel Club lists this as like a just friends rom-com kind of thing where it's basically like they're both really good friends, but the guy is kind of like in love with her, but we're not really sure if uh, he really actually, you know, he, he might just want to be friends with her, you know, like we don't know. Um, so 
I don't know. I, I just thought this sounded like an interesting kind of relationship. It's it's kind of a rom com, but again, they're they're just friends, and you know that's also okay. You know, so again, th- this sounds cute enough to where like I I actually really want to read this. Like I could also see this making for a really like cute anime as well. And uh, this should I think this should be available on J Novel Club as well. Again, by the time you're listening to this, but I want to move on to Yen Press. Because uh, they licensed at least two titles that I was very interested in. Uh, the first one called uh, Hard Boiled Stories from the Cat Bar, uh, authored by Ono Yore. Uh, I can read the synopsis for this one because it's very interesting. It's about an assassin who is unable to get over the loss of his cat, as well as a man with a scar on his cheek and a feline named Dandy that is waiting for its master to return. Uh, all are at the center of this gritty tale of men in tears. So, uh, just judging from the uh, synopsis, it, it's very hard to tell whether this will be like a very serious story or a more comedic take or like a mix of both. I mean, look, it's it's hard to lose a pet, I'm sure. Um, so, like, look, I can I can sympathize. Like this, this this sounds like it could be pretty fun. So, I'm definitely a sucker for more like gritty like hard-boiled stories so this is kind of right up my alley um the next one i want to mention was actually mentioned on a past episode of the manga machinations podcast which uh we haven't mentioned this at all but i want to take a quick a uh, quick break from my uh list of licenses to to give a shout out to Mor- morgana santili uh one of the hosts of the manga, manga machinations podcast as well as uh you know a f- friend of the show we've had her on a few times before uh, she's really cool. Uh, we love listening to her on, on Manga Machinations. Uh, she recently started working with Yen Press, so uh, that's really cool. Want to just congratulate her on that. I also mention it because uh, I, I I jokingly mentioned that she might have been the reason that this got picked up because this was a title that was uh, you know mentioned on Manga Machinations called Uncle from Another World. Uh, I believe the original title for this was like Ojisan Isekai or something like that. I forget. Basically about a middle-aged man who wakes up from a 17-year coma, and then he tells his nephew that he's been adventuring in another world. Yen Press lists it as a generation gap comedy starring an uncle who bridges two universes. And uh, from from what I remember of Dakazu talking about on Manga Machinations, it, this did sound like a pretty funny premise, basically an Isekai story starring an, an older protagonist. Uh, I thought sounded pretty cool. So, if if it's as funny as Dakasu says, you know, I I I trust his taste. So I'll definitely be checking this one out. And then I guess I'll move on to Kodansha. They definitely also had a lot of licenses. I was really interested in uh, the first one. I think I've seen around like as images online, but uh, I wanted to mention uh, Shangri La Frontier. Uh, from Ryosuke Fuji, which I guess, again, will be available by the time this podcast is out, uh, about a second-year high school student who is interested in finding shitty games, quote-unquote, and beating the crap out of them. And immediately when I read that, I thought, is this angry video game nerd the manga? Um, And uh, apparently his gaming skills are second to none, and no game is too hard for him to enjoy, uh, is too bad for him to enjoy. Uh, so when he's introduced to the new VR game Shangri-La Frontier, he does what he does best, min-maxes and skips to the prologue to jump straight into the action. Uh, but can even an expert gamer like him discover all the secrets that Shangri-La Frontier hides? So again, uh, this this sounds like a fun take on the sort of video game isekai-ish uh, sort of story there. So, And I, I think also like the 
uh, kind of the promo art for the series really caught my eye because it's maybe it's like the avatar in the game or something, but like the like the character featured on the cover that I've seen uh, for volumes of this looks a lot like Falco from Star Fox, and I thought that was kind of interesting. So, you know, uh, but moving on to another Kodacha title, I also wanted to talk about uh, Sachi's Monstrous Appetite from Chomoran, uh, which will be coming out on December 29th. And uh, it's basically about a boy who's in love with his taller, older classmate. His classmate makes lunch for him every day and is also in love with him. Uh, but her secret is that she's actually a shape-shifting monster called the Watari. And uh, she was drawn to him because he smells delicious. But it's not just her who's into him, you know. Uh, the entire monster world is now after him. But fortunately, his classmate is uh, is also you know, a Watari who eats Watari, uh, and she pledges to protect him. So, uh, again, I think I mentioned this off mic, but, uh, I, I thought this was like an interesting, like, uh, I, I don't know, like elements of this reminded me of like love rush. Uh, yeah. you know, s- sort of the same thing about a monster girl who's into this regular guy, but like attracts a bunch of other monster girls. Uh, this sounds like it's, uh, I don't know what she would call it, like a slightly darker take on it because like she wants to literally eat him. And plus I thought the art seemed kind of cute as well. So, uh, you know, I, I definitely want to check this out. And then I guess the last thing I want to mention from Kodansha in particular is boys run the riot, uh, from Keito Gaku, uh, who apparently is a transgender manga author, uh, which is very interesting. Uh, I think I think before this got licensed, I had seen a few people on Twitter kind of buzz about this manga. So I'm I'm sure Kodansha is basically picking that up while it's hot. And uh, basically, it's it's about our main character who is transgendered and uh, basically is living through his school life. He doesn't really have anybody to confide in besides uh, basically someone who I guess seems like a bully at first. Uh, but it turns out is like really into fashion and they eventually like get into this thing where they start like they want to start their own like brand of clothing and cr- create like other apparel uh, to help people like feel more comfortable in their skin. And uh, yeah, I thought this was like a like like an interesting sort of like princess jellyfish esque kind of take here. Um, again, I've I've heard a lot of good things about this manga and I think I think definitely is a title that I think is gonna is going to acquire like a, a huge audience. I think like I think a lot of people will get into this one in particular. Yeah, I'm excited for this one. I think this could have a lot of really cool things to say about gender and fashion and presentation. Hmm. Honestly, like after reading Princess Jellyfish, I'm actually a lot more interested in manga about fashion. So uh, this is definitely on my list as far as that's concerned. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned it already, but this will be coming out next summer, 2021. Uh, so I can't wait to eventually check this out. Uh, next up, I surprisingly, I actually want to mention the title from Tokyo Pop, which, you know, we, we always sigh whenever we have to mention Tokyo Pop because Tokyo Pop is Tokyo Pop. But uh, they actually picked up something that uh, I'm interested in because it had an anime uh, that was one of Funimation's first simul dubs. Uh, back then, they called them broadcast dubs, I think. Uh, entitled "Laughing Under the Clouds" uh, from Karakara Kimuri. Uh, that'll be coming out on April 6, twenty twenty one. Now, 
Laughing Under the Clouds is interesting to me because, like, I had seen, I, like, I'd seen, like, bits and pieces of it around, but I didn't really, like, actually know what it was about. So, like, I, for some reason, I kind of thought this it was like a, like a slice of life kind of, like, coming of age thing for some reason. And maybe it is that, I don't know. But from the summary that Tokyo Pop gives, it seems to be like a period piece kind of thing, like, uh, taking place, I think, in, like, the Meiji period, or at least... Or at least whenever, like, you know, uh, there were less samurai around and, like, it became, like, against the law to, like, carry swords and other weapons and stuff. Uh, and it seems to be specifically about, I think, a bunch of prisoners who are being sent to this particularly uh, secluded, like, prison island. And the story kind of, like, goes on from there. So, yeah, again... Uh, I, I didn't know too much about Laughing Under the Clouds, again, other than Funimation basically took a chance on it, again, as one of their first simul dubs. So, like, I'm I'm interested in checking it out. I mean, again, it, it's one of those things where, like, I don't know if I necessarily want to support Tokyo Pop, but I think also this is also going to be available on on uh, Mangamo as well, so maybe I'll just read it through that. But yeah, I'm I'm interested in finally checking out Laughing Under the Clouds after, like, knowing about it for... Uh, I think it came out in, like, 2011, the anime, so, like, man, almost a decade? Can you believe that? That's amazing. But, uh, basically, that's about it for that. But, uh, I think, basically, the rest of the titles I want to mention are from Seven Seas. Again, Seven Seas licensed so much, uh, over the past few months that we hadn't really recorded news. Um, two, two specifically that I'm, I'm kind of saving for the end, but for now, I do want to mention a few, a few other Seven Seas uh, listings. Uh, the first of which I want to mention is I Swear I Won't Bother You Again, which is, I guess, a series of light novels in manga, uh, basically about uh, a woman named Violet, who basically, for some reason or one or another, uh, basically jealousy over her younger sister. She, I guess, basically, I'm assuming kills her or something, and she ends up in prison because of it. Um, but for some reason or another, time rewinds, and she's sent back to the first day she meets her sister, and now I guess it's like a re-zero Groundhog Day kind of thing, where it's like, uh, I'm assuming she's been given a chance to, like, uh, make up for the ter- whatever terrible thing she did to her sister, so... Again, we we've seen this kind of thing again, like I said, from like ReZero and like even like Erased. Uh, actually, yeah, this maybe sounds more like Erased, actually, or I guess I, I guess both work. But still, I'm I'm interested in series that have that like that like rewind time kind of function to them almost. Like I, I kind of like that gimmick, so that's why I was kind of interested in this. So uh, this will be coming out June 2021, but I think they'll be available digitally before then. It looks like. And then uh, next up, I also wanted to mention Manga Diary of a Male Porn Star from Kairuno. Uh, I, I think the title's kind of self-explanatory. Is a diary manga about a male porn star, or specifically someone who, I guess, uh, didn't have a lot of money because his company goes bankrupt and everything is basically falling apart in his life. So he decides to become an adult film star. <laughs> essentially. And uh, this this manga specifically talks about what it was like in that industry uh, and how he broke into the world of porn and whatnot. And uh, it's just kind of interesting to see a manga about this kind of like industry, especially like in English, you know, so uh, definitely an industry that I'm 
weirdly curious to kind of find out about, especially from uh, from this particular person's perspective, because I from from what I understand, they seem to be like a more prolific adult film star who has starred in over 250 like adult videos in particular. So that's also interesting. And I guess kind of speaking of film just in general, I also wanted to check out Pompo the Cinephile, uh, which will be coming out in July 2021, again from Seven Seas, authored by Shogo Sugitani, uh, about a production assistant who is a film fanatic in the movie capital of Nialiwood, who has been working on uh, popcorn films with the babyface producer, uh, John Joel Davidovich. And basically one day, uh, they find a script written by Pompo and is blown away. And uh, when he says it's deserved to be made, you know, Pompo challenges him to do it himself. And now Gene, our main character, is officially directing uh, his first feature film. Uh, the hours are long and the challenges are endless. Uh, but Gene's passions for movies will fuel him through the gauntlet of making his own. Uh, this critically acclaimed manga about filmmaking that started on an online platform of Pixiv is now an anime feature film itself. So that's really interesting. I didn't know that, actually. Um, in general, I, I find manga about filmmaking just interesting. Uh, again, it's just, just another, like, just another interesting thing I'm curious to see through the world of manga. But, uh, so these last two here, I'm, I'm probably the most excited about. I don't even know which one I want to talk about first. I guess I'll talk about uh, Himitsu Sentai Go Ranger from Shotaro Ishinomori. And from what I understand is basically the first, like, well, maybe it's not the first tokusatsu manga, but like, you know, obviously Shotaro Ishinomori, you know, he's also known for so many other titles that, you know, aren't really like available here. I guess like the common writer manga you can read on um, on Comicsology and stuff like that, but like uh, Shotaro Ishinomori is kind of responsible for a lot of the really big like for for a lot of really big Tokusatsu franchises or at least like the manga for them. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, se- uh, like Go Ranger, I think is the first like Super Sentai series in particular, um, and so like. Uh, again, this is this is kind of another one of attempts from Seven Seas to publish like more classic manga, you know, s- stuff that like really should be available over here. Um, which I'm really glad to see them still doing because I I had heard that their classic manga hadn't really like sold as much as they'd like. So I'm I'm glad that they're still taking chances on stuff like this because again, this is you know th- these kinds of titles are kind of up there with stuff like Captain Harlock and Devilman and. You know, just just stuff that like is revered as classics and are kind of like, you know, starting points for a lot of different genres that we have in anime today. So like, and again, I'm with with like the kind of new like sort of like tokusatsu boom kind of going on. You know, like I'm I'm sure that Seven Seas is kind of like cap- wanting to capitalize on that. Uh, and so yeah, I mean, j- just as someone who you know, has kind of dabbled in toku and whatnot. I'm I'm very excited to be able to pick this up because they are uh, bringing this over next April in a nice, like, hardcover edition. And, uh, yeah, hopefully I would I would love to, you know, do an episode on this if we can. Uh, at some point, I would, I would love to talk about this because I'm very excited to, like, 
to actually be able to buy like tokusatsu manga in particular. This is really cool. I mean, I'm glad Seven Seas is taking my chances on more classy manga, especially Shitaru Shinomori, a veteran creator, like one of the all-time biggest ones in terms of his prolificness. Oh, yeah. Right, right on alongside Gonagai, Tezuka, yeah. Mm-hmm. Matsumoto. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I'm really excited for that. And then the thing I am the most excited about is that Seven Seas picked up another really, really big license uh, that I'm hoping if it does well, maybe we'll get more. But they're basically releasing a collection of Lupin the Third manga, basically a collection of stories from the original Monkey Punch Lupin the Third, like all the way back from like the 70s and 60s and whatnot. Yeah, it's a best of collection that contains stories from both the original 14 volume Lupin series and then the sequel series Shin Lupin. Mm, okay. This was published in 2019, like as a best of collection, you know, to commemorate uh, Monkey Punch's passing. So these are like considered, you know, at least this was, these are a collection of stories that chosen by, I guess, the publisher of what they consider Monkey Punch's, you know, finest tales, like his best Lupin stories. So, yeah, Seven Seas is releasing this like a big uh, hardcover, large trim book. And again, the classics line, really gorgeous releases. So, yeah, this is going to be really great. Oh, yeah. V-Lord, do you know like exactly some of the chapters that are going to be in this book? So I peeked a little bit at it. Um, A good chunk of them seem to be from the original. Um, So I know that I think the first chapter in the book is, I think, Goemon's either first or second introduction, mm-hmm. or at least the quote-unquote normal interpretation of Goemon. Right. Yeah, so it seems like it's a lot of kind of the, like, kind of big, notable stories, like you said. So yeah. it'll be interesting, because, like, I have not, I don't think I have read many of the Shin Lupin ones that are in there. I mean, it's only, like, a 290-page book, so it's not yeah super long, but... Given how short Lupin chapters usually are, there's still going to be quite a bit of variety. Yeah. Shin Lupin is the same as Lupin World's Most Wanted, right? Yeah, Shin Lupin is just World's Most Wanted. Yeah. The one that apparently only sold 100 copies. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> total, across, like, the nine books they published. Which is insane. How do they publish nine books and they only sell, even when they sell less than 100 copies? I mean, this is assuming Tokyo Pop used logical business. Is this sense. like a hundred copies per book, or was that for the total of the nine books? I, it's part so of, strange. Part of me feels it has to be a hundred per book, but yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was just a hundred total. Yeah, I mean that's very funny. I mean, because they never finished releasing that, maybe and hopefully we'll get some stories that were not uh, published previously before by Tokyo Pop in the previous releases. Yeah, one can hope. At the very least, hopefully this sells well and we can get some of the uh, later Lupin manga. I don't think that they'll necessarily revisit the original or Shin Lupin again anytime Yeah, but soon. those are like the only ones directly written drawn by Monkey Punch, right? Yeah, they are as far as I know. I yeah. mean, but the other Lupin ones are apparently pretty good and Monkey Punch still had uh, some input into them as too. So right. they'd be nice to read. Yeah, I mean, it's nice just to look forward to, like, a new collection of Monkey Punch Lupin stories. For sure. And it will be cool to compare the translations with the Tokyo Pop release for the chapters that are same between them. Yeah, I mean, it won't be much of a contest, because uh, <laughs> that uh, Tokyo Pop release is rough. Very rough. <laughs> the image quality is also not good. 
Oh, man. Well, I, again, I cannot state like how, I, I can't overstate how excited I am that Seven Seas is taking a chance on Monkey Punch's original Lupin manga, even if it's just a collection of a few stories. Like, I'm, I'm glad that the original Lupin is gonna, you know, that we're kind of taking a chance on this again, uh, again, considering how, how not so well it did for Tokyo Pop the first time around, but, uh, yeah, I mean, look, I think I could speak for Lum and I when we when I say that I think we're both pretty big fans of Lupin. Uh and you know, we love the Lupin anime and you know, uh I I especially love talking about Lupin. Hopefully again we can you know, if if this is only like one volume, hopefully we can we can maybe talk about this particular release on the show in the future. Uh it's coming out next November. Uh, so it's a bit of a ways away, but I'm I'm definitely 100% picking this up. Yeah, and I am looking forward to revisiting the manga. You know, it has its problematic elements, but I appreciated the style and the craziness of Monkey Punch's original listen. So I am interested in revisiting it with a new translation and better page art quality. So yeah, I think this a prestige release of like the best of the best of that is gonna be you know a nice treat for lupon fans yeah for sure um i've never actually read the lupon manga like i've seen pages from it but uh yeah i've I've never actually like read any of it so this will this will be my first time actually reading monkey punch's original lupon the third manga so i'm definitely excited for that as well but yeah that's that's really gonna end off my list of licenses again a lot a lot of cool stuff that i think we featured in our discussion here and i you know, if you happen to hear any hear anything that uh, you know piqued your interest, you know, uh, be on the lookout because a, a lot of this stuff, if it's not already out, is coming out next year. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I again, I I think I think we did a good job of picking out like I think some some of the best that this last like round of licenses had to offer. Again, we there was so much that came out since the last time we did news. And yeah, yeah, it it, it would have it would have been really hard to cover literally everything in the span of uh, of an episode, but still, uh, I think I think we picked out a lot of good ones to talk about. Yeah, there were so many that I actually missed a couple that I did want to mention. I guess go through two quickly that were from Ganja that I noticed that oh shoot, I should have talked about this. Uh, one is a digital first title by Ren Kawahara. We're new at this, coming out on December 29th, basically about a married couple who have kind of awkwardness when having physical intimacy. So this sounds like kind of a cute, kind of older skewing uh, kind of rom-com between a married couple akin to Fly Me to the Moon. And the other one that I wanted to mention is one that I can't believe I forgot about because it's from an author of a series that I do quite enjoy, Kaori Yuki, uh, author of Alice in Murderland. Uh, she is returning with another uh, crazy, dark, inventive reimagining of a fairy tale with Beauty and the Beast of the Lost Paradise, which is a more sinister, creepy Beauty and the Beast story, uh, which is about like a bell in this version is going out to play in the woods, and her adventure streak ends when her mother is spirited away by a beast known to kidnap beautiful women, and twisted by the loss of his wife, her father keeps his daughter who has unusual violet hair locked away to protect her from prying eyes. But after emerging from solitude, she ventures back into the woods where she lost her mother to encounter the beast once again. So again, Karayuki, like that Alice in Wonderland was like a crazy, like dark reimagining of Alice in Wonderland. Like 
this sounds like a like darker, uh, vi- more violent skewing version of Beauty and the Beast. So I'm, I'm definitely curious about this. Like I do like her twisted takes on uh, fantasy tales. So yeah, just another one I want to mention. But yeah, overall, I mean, we, there were so many uh, interesting new titles to talk about. So many to be excited for. Yeah, like there's a lot to look forward to in 2021. Oh yeah, for sure. So that is it for licensing news. So now we're going to move on into industry news. Now, as we brought up, there is more uh, shakeups happening with Seven Seas besides them launching the new airship imprint. They have also moved their distribution to Penguin Random House. So basically, all Seven Seas titles are now going to be published through there instead of like their previous uh, distributor. So, yeah, I mean, they're saying, like, this is, uh, you know, to help because they've been growing in their distribution, growing in, like, their titles. And so they wanted to probably partner with a publisher that would, you know, help the distribution of the books, like, worldwide and everything. So, like, they're going to start distributing Seven Seas' stuff uh, through worldwide channels on July 1st, 2021. And I think a huge reason for, like, this... uh move is because with like their previous uh, distributor they were not really able to get ghost ship titles distributed because the the distributor didn't want to like take them up so they were having trouble with that so going to penguin random house i think they're gonna have more success like or it'll be easier for them to distribute like all their titles including the ghost strip titles However, the move with Penguin Random House is also significant because of recent news that Wyacom is selling Simon & Schuster to Penguin Random House for potentially $2.175 billion. And this is going to be a huge shakeup in terms of like how many publishers there are out there in the market right now. Because it used to be a big five. Now this is becoming a big four. But more than that, Penguin Random House's market share, the amount of titles that they publish compared to the other publishers, it is quite significant. They have like kind of a huge domination in the market. In terms of manga publishers, uh, Penguin Random House will be doing the distribution for Riz, and Seven Seas, Kedansha, and Square Enix, like the Simon and Schuster like merger, like that is what's folding Viz into the Penguin Random House umbrella. And Yen Press and Dempa are like the big manga publishers that are still outside, like the Penguin Random House, like kind of uh family here. But yeah, I mean, one reason why this is like a kind of a big deal is that you know the more consolidation there is like the less publishers out there there are the less books overall get a chance to be published because basically what a distributor does is like it sends a list to retailers and whatnot of like hey here are like the books that we want that we're promoting for you to pick out and buy and the more consolidation there is like the less variety the less is going to be mentioned in like those solicitations so there's going to be less you know there's potentially a danger of like not only like in the regular like publishing market of prose books and whatnot there's already going to be like less chance of like new books being picked up but like in terms of distribution there's also a chance of less books being distributed and promoted so this is this could have some big ramifications uh for the manga industry here in north america 
and I mean, we're going to have to see how this plays out, but like, this is kind of like a big danger and like uh, just the publishing landscape in general. There are some good treads uh, from Ed Chavez of Dempa and Caleb Cook that also go into kind of like how the marketplace is like shaking up here and how this could affect manga distribution in the future. So we're definitely going to leave links to this as well as a, a report by Kristalina over at the OSG that also details kind of like the situation of like this consolidation of uh, book publishers here in North America and how this could affect the industry. So this is also something, yeah, that's going to be worth keeping an eye on because it could be a danger if this consolidation keeps happening. I mean, Penguin Random House, again, if the extent of the books they publish like it dwarfs their next competitors, Harper Collins, Simon and Heshed Book Club. So, you know, this is something that uh is worth looking into. We really don't want Penguin Random House to be like the Disney of publishing, or worse than that, really. But yeah, I mean the American Booksellers Association is gonna contest this. They are issuing a challenge against Penguin Random House's published uh purchase of Simon and Schuster because they are worried about, you know, the purchase consolidating power in US book publishing. And so, you know, they are calling for this to be called off due to antitrust implications. So yeah, uh they are asking the Department of Justice to intervene, so we will see. Uh but I mean you know, the Disney Fox merger wasn't prevented, and I, I feel like I don't see this being, this merger, this buyout being foiled either. So, yeah, I, I think that Penguin Random House is going to really consolidate a lot of power. It could be potentially uh, dangerous in terms of potentially leading to a monopoly situation in the publishing market. It's definitely something to keep an eye on. Um kind of keep an ear out for more news about how things are going to play out and potential ramifications man if there's a thing that i think not either of us are a fan of it's a uh, giant corporate monopolies yeah and speaking of warner brothers seems to be nearing a deal with sony to sell off Crunchyroll to sony so anime monopoly sony will own Crunchyroll and funimation if they end up indeed purchasing Crunchyroll from Warner Brothers for $957 million, which is much less, like, only two-thirds as much as what Warner Brothers wanted them to pay out for it. But uh, Warner Brothers is pretty desperate for cash, or AT&T is pretty desperate for cash. But yeah, uh, there we are in a state where we could potentially be seeing a monopoly in, in terms of distribution in the manga market but and then like a monopoly of like licensing and distribution in the anime market over here mm. i wonder how long we have until until sony just like combines crunchyroll and funimation i think they'll keep them separate because funimation is a dubbing company now really i mean that's just how they kind of market themselves it's like country Roll is like a platform where it's a destination where people go for watching new shows as they come out i think they'll go back to the model of like we're marketing country Roll as a place for you to watch the sub and then funimation is the place where you watch the dub so i feel like the brands because both brands are pretty well established are going to stick around yeah that's that's true i mean funimation though is probably just going to be able to have access like, both sites will probably have access to the editor's catalog again, I guess. 
but before, you know, they they were independent, or at least they were owned by different companies and they were in a partnership. Now they're under the same corporate family structure. Yeah. Indeed, a lot of very interesting ramifications for the industry going into 2021. Now, there's a lot of other, like, stray, interesting industry news, uh, not industry, interest news, uh, mostly about anime stuff that we were interested in, but we we're kind of running long on this episode, so we'll save those for the next one. However, we did mention it before, earlier on this podcast, about Demon Slayer's domination, not just among the sales, but also at the box office. Demon Slayer, the Mugen Train Infinity film, it's only been less than two months since it came out, however, it is already the the second highest grossing film in Japan in the domestic Japanese box office and it is really inching up on Spirited Away. I think Spirited Away was 30 billion yen and Demon Slayer is 27.5 billion yen and I think it's going to surpass that. I think Demon Slayer potentially could end up being the highest grossing Japanese film by the end of its run. Now, now do you think do you think it'll reach that by the time this episode's out? <laughs> Potentially. I mean, we're recording this on a weekend where, I mean, the number is only going to go up from here in terms of uh, the box office. So, hey, by the time you are listening to this, maybe it has beaten Spirit Away. We will see. It is slowing It's now the, the box office intake, but like it's, it's still climbing. I mean, in terms of, to put it in perspective, also globally, like Demon Slayer globally has earned about... 260 million dollars i believe so it is going to i mean it's already in like the the top 10 uh films internationally this year is number six it's the highest grossing animated film of the year it's inching on sonic uh, to be the number five highest grossing film of the year. Sonic is about 300 million. So Demon Slayer potentially could beat out Sonic to be in the top five highest grossing films of the year. Which, I mean, this is a year where like the US box office is tanked. So a lot of films didn't come out this year. But like that is still really incredible considering the situation the world is in, the international box office is in, that Demon Slayer could be such a gargantuan hit to become like potentially the number one film at the Japanese box office and to be like worldwide competitive like even a good year where all the other films that would have come out this year if there wasn't a pandemic come out Demon Slayer would still be a huge financial success potentially could have still been a top 10 contender this year even if we had like all these other big box office hits from North America come out like their Black Widows or whatnot. like Demon Slayer is really really successful oh yeah yeah, and I mean, Demon Slayer has so many uh, accolades right now, or it's broken many records. Like, in terms of ticket sales, in terms of the actual people attending, it's the third all-time most-watched film in Japan. It's the number one all-time IMAX film in Japan. It had the best opening weekend for uh, any film in Japan, but also any film in, an animated film in Taiwan. Uh, it's the number one film in Taiwan for 2020. It's the all-time number one anime film in Taiwan. So uh, a lot of records Demon Slayer has broken. V-Lord, what is your perspective on Demon Slayer's box office uh, breaking records here? Um, I mean, I'm both surprised and not surprised. Um, I think a lot of people expected the Demon Slayer movie to do well, but the amount of sales that it's really bringing in is kind of insane in a way. Um, like, uh, recently on the Demon Slayer podcast, we interviewed, uh, Daryl Harding from Crunchyroll, who lives in Japan and got to see the movie, 
um, opening weekend, and he was mentioning how, like, really, like, Demon Slayer has become just this cultural phenomenon in a way, like, in a way that really hasn't been seen, like, in years, decades, like, far usurping One Piece, even, in a way. Um, and, like, we're, we're seeing that in sales, too, where, like, uh, the manga, of course, has had, like, one-third of the manga market share for this year. <laughs> yeah. Which is uh, kind of insane, and, yeah, it's, I think, pre- it's pretty much guaranteed at this point it's going to outsell Spirit Away, which is uh, pretty cool. Um, and hopefully that's uh, a good sign for the franchise going forward. It's kind of interesting in a way to have a series that's essentially over, still doing this well. Yeah, and again, to put it in perspective, like, for like this is a franchise film based on a Shonjo property. Like, this is unprecedented. You could never have predicted this level of success. One Piece Film Z, the highest grossing One Piece film... Like, that final gross was, like, 6.87 billion yen, 85 million worldwide. Uh, just think about the scale here of how much bigger Demon Slayer Infinity Train is. Uh, even Dragon Ball Super Broly internationally, that only brought in, like, 110 million worldwide. Like, again, this is, a, and this is all in Japan, most of this box office. Like, it is insane. Like, again, very condensed period of time, too. Like, insane the amount of capital that this has grossed. Like, how many people have gone to see this. Like, the sheer numbers on this are really extraordinary and almost unthinkable. Like, it, like it, pre-pandemic, like, there were numbers like this for Japan. I think I saw somebody on Twitter. I, I forget who it was, but I saw someone on Twitter say something along the lines of, hey, maybe UFO table can now pay their taxes or whatever. I think that there's no excuse now. <laughs> I certainly have earned enough from this film. Huh. But um yeah, I'm 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 happy for everybody involved. Like I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping that everybody involved is getting a nice chunk of change from from this movie because they really deserve it. Oh yeah. I mean again it's just really interesting and Rewarding to see Demon Slayer really become so big. Mm-hmm. I mean, I believed in it from the very first chapter. I never imagined it would be a hit on this level, but it was a good series, and I'm glad it really has caught on in Japan. It just hit at the right time. It resonated just so strongly. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is a good argument, though, that, you know, the manga scene, the anime scene, the potential for growth is just limitless. Like, if Demon Slayer can come in and break all these records uh, just so recently, like, the sky's the limit for the future. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, though, I will say it's it's really hard for me to imagine anything beating Demon Slayer in terms of just sheer sales at this point. I mean, before, you couldn't imagine anything selling more than what One Piece did in its peak, but, I mean, Demon Slayer more than doubled that this year, One Piece's peak sales in one year to what Demon Slayer has sold this past year, so it could happen. Who knows? I mean, I mean, maybe in terms of manga sales, yeah, I guess that's more possible, but, I mean, as far as the movie goes, I, I have a really oh, yeah. I have I a mean, really hard time seeing any possibility of another Japanese film beating Demon Slayer. 
I mean, no one predicted your name would be a big success as it was. I mean, no one could think that something could be spirited away. So, I mean, who knows, again, in the future, what could happen? Like, maybe something can unseat Demon Slayer. Heck, if they make more Demon Slayer films, maybe Demon Slayer is going to unseat Demon Slayer. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, I guess that's a possibility. <laughs> I, I would I would love to see that happen. Maybe this new MHA movie is going to unseat Demon Slayer. We're getting a new MHA movie next summer, 2021. So I guess we'll just mention that quickly. There's a new MHA movie coming out next year, summer 2021. Yes, I Horikoshi said that second one would be the last one. Well, guess what? He followed up and said, well, uh, I guess there is another one after all. He was wrong, <laughs> as we expected. They're not going to stop making MHA movies. I mean, especially after this Demon Slayer movie success. Why would you stop making, like big popular jump franchise movies and so the tagline on the poster of this new movie promotes like he will meet the three musketeers and it shows deku and bakugo and todoroki so they're going to be the focus of the film yeah i mean again i think this uh the previous MHA movie this did very well i'm hoping that the uh domestic box office here in north america opens up so this film gets a wide release like the previous one did two years did because i think it could do even better but yeah i mean again who knows how well this will do Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm interested in what the next My Hero Academia movie will be like. I feel like it's it's gonna be hard. I mean, I I know we have kind of our issues here and there with um, with Heroes Rising, and I mm-hmm. I wouldn't I don't think it's like a perfect movie, you know. But like in terms of sheer spectacle, I'm hard pressed to like figure out how this next movie is gonna top that one in terms of that. I guess. Yeah, I think we will just have to see. I mean, again. Like, Heroes Rising, or two heroes, rather. Or was it Heroes Rising? No, it was Heroes Rising. Yeah, I got confused. Two heroes has the two in the name. But yeah, (laughs) Heroes Rising, you know, that had that big moment with Deku and Bakugo both using one for all. It was a huge emotional animated sequence. So how do you top that? I guess you add in Todoroki. (laughs) Now all three of them will use one for all. No, that's probably not what's going to happen. But uh, we'll see. We'll see how they can match the spectacle or surpass the spectacle of the previous film. Mm. I mean, yeah, like, yeah. I'm also not surprised that, like, the next movie is probably gonna obviously feature those three characters because they're basically the three most popular characters in the series as we uh as we will see in this next my hero academia popularity poll yeah the results for the six my hero academia popularity poll are out and to no one's surprise well let's go through this top 10 i guess bottom to top so Shigaraki comes in at number 10 with about 1,170 votes. I mean, he as the main villain of the series, who has gotten a lot of focus this year, I think it is good that he is quite popular. Uh, main villains aren't always quite popular in uh, long-running series, but, you know, Shigaraki has had a lot of development, and we learned a lot about him. He's, he's somewhat able to be empathized with from the place he's coming from in terms of, like, the pain of his childhood and the grudges he bears and whatnot even though he's doing you know such horrible things so yeah yeah i can dig it so number nine is the one that confuses everyone (laughs) this must be a meme or some sort of thing in the japanese fandom because shindo from that one academy that also participated in the licensing exam test comes in at number nine with 1200 votes despite not really doing anything recently in the stories or in the last 180 chapters (laughs) so or he was certainly not in the last season of the anime either, so this is a little confusing. 
But I, I think it must be something in the Japanese fandom that made him like some sort of a mimetic character that propped him up this high. Mm, see, it's it's interesting, actually, because uh, I'm looking at the last poll and previously he was actually 15th. So like maybe he just is popular because he has the people like his design or something. I don't know. Like there, ha- maybe it's one of those things where it's like there's like because I've heard stories of like for certain popular series, like literal fan clubs will be made for like particular characters because they love them so much like i yeah and I, I just imagine shindo just having his own like fan club or whatever that's probably sending in all these votes or something i don't know yeah perhaps also i want to mention real quick uh shigaraki actually um he he is number he's in the top 10 but he's actually down from last poll uh, last poll he was at number six so his popularity has actually gone down a little bit but i mean pe- people people still like the character though yeah but last year was my will in academia where we got his backstory and stuff, so I'm not surprised. Like, last year was, like, his bigger, like, character arc, character-defining uh, stuff. Yeah. Uh, but what about the next person? Yeah, next up we have Endeavor, uh, number eight, with 1,300 votes. And, of course, Endeavor is a prominent character in the current arc, so it's no surprise that he's continuing to be popular, as it's no surprise that Hawks is here. Number seven, 1,900 votes. Hawks got a boost from last time where he just narrowly missed the top 10 coming to number 11 last time. So it's good to see Hawks break it in this time because he definitely had a lot more this year. Oh, and yeah. he also finally appeared in the anime. So that also probably gave him a little bit of a boost. Kirishima comes in just missing 2000 votes because he got 1999 votes. And yeah, Kirishima just is just one of those characters that continues to be popular. And he did do some stuff this year. So. Yeah, uh, Aizawa, uh, number five, 2,700 votes. Again, consistently popular, did quite a bit this year. Ida, number four, didn't do as much this year, but he still got 3,700 votes. And then we have, of course, our big three. Todoroki, 6,500 votes. Deku, number two, with 8,100 votes. And Bakugo, number one, uh, almost 15,000, just short of that, 14,937 votes. So the only character to get double in the double digits of the thousands uh, in the popularity poll in terms of votes. Bakugo, continuing his reign, his streak of being the most popular character of My Academia. Five polls in a row for Bakugo. (laughs) I can't believe... You know, I want to say I can't believe it, but at the same time... I guess I'm shouldn't be that surprised at that point that Bakugo is the most popular character. Like, I almost wonder if like a lot of younger readers probably relate to Bakugo, uh, or if people just like as far as like personality wise, more people gravitate towards him, possibly. Yeah, I mean Bakugo's fun, he has a good character arc, and he's not as I mean he ha- he has a kinder heart under the surface than it first appears by his brash a way of addressing people and his rudeness like he he has he puts more thought into his interactions than you are led to believe initially like he has a lot a lot of growth and he has had consistently a lot of good character moments mm-hmm, for sure um i'm kind of wondering what the next poll's going to look like after this current arc ends honestly it will be interesting i mean yeah i'm curious to see where things will be at next year my Biggest observation from this top 10 is that there are no women in this top 10. So I don't know if that reflects on the fandom or how Horikoshi has been 
writing his female characters, but, you know, I'm really surprised Mirko did not come in here because she had a big focus at the start of this year, but she only came in in the top 20. Which I mean, like, out of all the characters, that's that's not bad, but still, I, yeah. I, I was kind of expecting her to be a little higher. I bet you she's gonna, uh, when, when the, like, US popularity poll results come out, I bet she'll be higher on that list. No doubt. I totally expect it. I, I also wonder, hmm, well, I don't know if I want to, I don't, I don't know if I want to say it because it might be a spoiler. Skip, skip ahead 10 seconds if you don't want to be spoiled on the latest chapters of My Hero Academia. I'm kind of surprised Mirio isn't more popular. I have to be honest. I mean, he, again, he's in the top, he's in the top 20, but I, but I feel like, I, I feel like after this arc, he, he'll probably shoot up a little bit, or maybe I'll be wrong. I don't know. I mean, he's only been back for two chapters, but I guess it was a cool character moment. But, I mean, Mirio, before the recent chapters, he wasn't really in the story a whole lot. So it's it's not unimaginable that he would wane in popularity. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I, I, just, I just feel like in terms of his character, I just, I just feel like, I just feel like he, I don't know, maybe this is just a personal thing, but I just, I just feel like he's a character that should be more popular than he actually is. You know, I don't think Mirio has ever been in a top 10. So I think, yeah. It is surprising for a character that was such a big focus. He has never really been one of the most popular characters. In fact, this is the highest he has ever been. Oh, wow. I mean, again, top top 20 is still fine. Like, I, I still think it's good. Again, if we're talking about literally every other character in My Hero Academia, you know, being in the top 20, I think is still good. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's just my personal opinion. I don't know. At least his placements have been rising, unlike Oraraka's, whose placements have only been decreasing. Yeah, um, I I wish she was more popular, but also she she just hasn't had a chance to do much. I mean, she yeah. she hasn't been given much to do. I mean, the most significant thing that she did was, I guess, fight Toga for a little bit, but like that reflected better on Toga's character arc than hers. Mm, I don't know. Like I it, look, I have a lot of thoughts on this last year by Hero Academia. But like I, I thought, I thought that fight in particular was pretty good. I, I kind of, I kind of hope we get more of that because I, I feel like, I feel like there's, there, there's, there's potential there for like an interesting relationship dynamic thing between Toga and Uraraka. But uh, I, I don't know. Like, I, like I want the female characters in My Hero Academia to be more popular, but also I, 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 I think well, it's- I want them to get more to do in the story and get more character development exactly like i i I think it's kind of i think the one character that has consistently been done well recently has been toga but uh, for other characters i would like to see see i I, see i feel like toga is for me toga is only interesting because of her connection the twice like because i i kind of like their relationship i think that that's fair i think yeah like i'm not i'm not i i guess i don't want to say like there's nothing to toga but i also feel like I also kind of feel like Toga is is kind of one of the most like straightforward characters to me. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't know. But that's just how I feel anyway. Um but anyway, yeah. Again, uh, not much else to say about this poll. Uh I'm wondering if Bakugo will ever be ta- will ever be dethroned. I I I kind of want Deku to take first place before the series ends, but I don't know if it'll ever happen. Reclaim first place for the first time since the first poll. I mean, we'll see. I mean, he wants to be, he's supposed to be the number one hero, but he's not number one <laughs> in people's hearts. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of tragic. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, the irony. Um, 
but yeah, I I, I think we're I think we're going to stop there with the news. Like like you were saying, we, we we still had a bit. We had a few more pieces we wanted to cover, but I think I think we are going to save those for next time because we're already running very long. So I think it's about time to go into community shoutouts. Indeed. So we the subject of a bunch of Shonen Jump stuff. I've been listening finally to a podcast I've been meaning to check out for a while, Multiversity Manga Club. They are a podcast uh, that is a spun-off of the Multiversity Comics website, which I have been reading for a while now. So Multiversity Comics, you know, they review a bunch of comics, but they do weekly a feature recapping a series of the week from the Shonen Jump lineup. And they rotate through a bunch of different reviewers, tackling a different series every now and again. I enjoy the reviews a lot but i also enjoyed this new podcast the door hosted by zach and emily and they basically every month this year they've been doing a read through of one piece so every month they you know discuss an arc of one piece in addition to that every month they discuss the recent chapters that have been going on in shonen jump they just pick out a select few series that they're reading as well as talk about the new series and i enjoy just hearing their thoughts on various series and on one piece they have some good insights some good takes and thoughts and analysis on different series and yeah, I mean, I think it's just a very enjoyable podcast to listen to for just some more Shonen Jump chatter. In terms of po- other podcast things to shout out, I mean, we mentioned our good friends, the Manga Machinations earlier, and I really wanted to shout out their interview with Matt Hosh of Starfruit Books. I thought it was a really great uh, interview going into the origins of Starfruit Books and Matt's uh, history, like, and how he got started, how he's reached out to publishers like what's on his wish list for things that he'd like to publish you know it was a really great conversation with matt also about you know a lot of the series that they are publishing like look into my eyes and pop life and we definitely hope to have matt on our show and interview him ourselves and talk about uh, some of uh, the series that starfruit books publishes with him ourselves as well but uh, we i really enjoyed this interview that manga Mac crew did with him and uh, definitely check that out for more insights onto starfruit books and and uh, the series that they're publishing right now. Uh, in terms of other great interviews with people in the industry, the Sweat uh, Workshop has recently uh, put up on their YouTube channel the interview that they did with uh, the translators panel. They've kind of broken it up into different videos, the specific portions where they interviewed specific translators. Uh, they did this like live stream uh, panel back in like August. And so just recently they put up the interview on their YouTube channel. So it was like a conversation with Emily Bellisteri uh, Stefan Paul and Molly Rabbit, uh, three really great translators in manga. You've heard their names before. Uh, they work on big series like Emily does. Uh, Saga of Tiny Evil Steven, of course, does One Piece. And and uh, the panel was moderated by Christy Fernandez, who is also like a huge player in the manga scene, in the manga industry. So, yeah, it was a really great conversation, really great insights into the world of translation learning more about it the daily life the work schedule the talk that goes into translation decisions uh how they got their start and got into it so yeah definitely check out those interviews they're really great and now i also want to shout out like a retrospective that the cartoon cypher did on the igpx dub which was a really great video looking back on what was really extraordinary about the IGBX dub in terms of getting all sorts of like different talent, like voice actors who normally don't work in manga, like Mark Hamill. 
like to be a part of this dub and like mix that talent uh with like actors who previously never really did voice acting like Gina Rodriguez and like how they collaborated like the both the uh adults both the Toonami side and the Japanese side uh at production IG like how they collaborated to shape the story how there were different versions of the show in terms of like the Japanese uncut version and the Toonami English dub version and how like the show itself was edited differently depending on what version you watched it's really interesting look on like the how that show was made and how it was handled in terms of localizing it and dubbing it and I thought it was, you know, a cool, like, retrospective on, like, a show that really kind of was kind of, like, the foundation of what we eventually see now in a lot of modern dubs that also hire, like, kind of, like, outside the voice acting uh, for anime circle, like, stuff that G-Kids dubs, uh, films that G-Kids does, but also simul dubs, like, the, how the process of, like, dubbing IGBX was kind of, like, also, like, proto- Similar to like the simulda process, so I thought that was a, like a really cool retrospective look back at a show that a lot of people may not think about, but was actually quite significant in kind of the history or like the evolution of anime dubbing. But speaking of retrospectives on stuff that Discotech distributes, my last shout out is a video from Karibukan on Thousand and One Nights, which is a film from like the late sixties. It was part of like the Tesca kind of trilogy of like uh indie type films and it's like a short video but it's kind of an interesting look at like the style of the movie like what uh, caribou like really likes about what it represents in terms of like hey you know this is an adult animated anime feature that's kind of like really out there and really proud about like you know from the onset of like its influences and like uh its visual presentation and, like trying to challenge the ideas of like what anime looks like and what anime is and i thought that was a really good take on that and i definitely may be curious to check out the film uh which will a discotex release also has like the old dub of it that was once taught lost so i'm definitely curious to check that out too on their release of it so yeah i think it was a good retrospective on like you know one of those anime rama uh films that like a lot of people didn't really, uh, you know, pay a lot of attention to, but I'm glad that Discotech is kind of giving a lot of people a chance to check out. But uh, yeah, that's basically it for my shout outs for this week. And I think now we can just head out into the wrap up of the show. Yeah. And uh, just right before we plug our stuff, I do want to mention that on our next episode of the podcast, uh, you should look forward to a kind of a manga mo centric episode. We, we basically had a chance to kind of check out the Mangamo app and uh, check out some uh, some Mangamo exclusives uh, that you can only read on that app. Uh, we're going to talk about a few series on there, uh, as well as talk about some, some Mangamo related news that uh, we just didn't really have time for for this episode, uh, along with a few other small pieces uh, that we couldn't really cover this episode. Uh, so, you know, if you, if you're interested in our thoughts on the Mangamo app and what they have to offer, uh, stay tuned for next episode. Uh, but until then, yes, we should definitely wrap up the show. And so, uh, Lum, where can the good people find you? You can find me at Lum Ramayasha on Twitter and it's Lum Ramayasha wherever you can find me. Animation, Revelation, Analyst, wherever there's Lum Ramayasha, that's where you can find me. You can also read my reviews on all-comer.com. We've got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews going out, so definitely look forward to more on there. And 
Uh, yeah, you can also, if you like the art I do that I draw for the show, you can check that out on uh, my Instagram. My Instagram handle is adsetartworks. All right. As for me, I'm Colton. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host a few other podcasts as well that you can find links to over at uh, coltoncorner.wordpress.com. That's where I have a page dedicated to whatever podcast I'm producing, editing, you know, whatever. But uh, as as for the show, uh, you can find every episode of Manga Mavericks over at all-comic.com, where we post every episode first, unless you are a subscriber to our Patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks, uh, where at the $2 tier, if you sign up for that in particular, uh, you'll get access to early editions of our podcast before we put them up on the main feed, you know, depending on when we have them edited, uh, if we happen to have an episode edited uh, before it's supposed to go up on the main feed. Uh, that's basically where we will upload it first. It's your best way to basically listen to the podcast before anyone else. Uh, or if you want something new, you want to subscribe to our $5 tier, uh, where we basically post a new podcast at the end of every month, uh, exclusively for patrons. Uh, right now, uh, we are doing a mini podcast series that we are uploading an episode of uh, once a month called the Manga Mavericks Book Club, where we basically talk about manga that we've talked about on the Manga Mavericks podcast before, but we want to kind of talk more about, you know, more in depth, volume by volume. Uh, right now, we are covering Saint Seiya, the original Saint Seiya manga from Masabi Kurumada. Uh, it's my first time reading it, as well as my good friend Doctor from the Ask Backwards Anime Podcasting Network over at SSANetwork.com. Uh, we are both basically reading Saint Seiya 100% blind. Uh, it's been really fun. And uh, again, we are uploading episodes of that once a month. We're covering two volumes at a time. Uh, if you want to listen to our read-through of Saint Seiya, again, that's at the $5 tier. Again, for uh, for patrons only. So yeah, go ahead and and you know just su- subscribe to our Patreon. It's it's the best way to support the podcast and everything we do here. It really helps us out. And so yeah, again, that's at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, you could follow us on facebook.com slash all dot comic or on twitter.com slash all comic underscore. Or if you want to follow the manga mavericks specifically, you want to follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash mavericks where we have different excerpts of the podcast and whatnot that you can listen to, and sometimes even some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, that's at youtube.com slash mavericks. Email us anything at mangamavericks at gmail.com. Uh, what did you think about all this news that we had to cover? Uh, what do you think about Demon Slayer and all the records it's busting left and right? Uh, do you have any manga that you want us to talk about on this podcast or just tell us what you're reading? You know, we're, we're always interested in, uh, how, however you guys feel about the podcast or how you feel about on whatever manga we happen to talk about, just whatever, you know, just email us at mangamavericks at gmail.com and, uh, we'll read it on the show. We love getting emails. Uh, but the most important thing guys is that you subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or basically wherever podcasts are available. We're available on so many different platforms like Spotify and again Apple Podcasts and whatnot. Um but you know, especially on Apple Podcasts or you know just wherever you listen to podcasts, uh if you're able to uh give us a review, give us a rating, uh that really helps the visibility of our show in particular. Uh, so yeah, please, uh, please just let us know how you enjoy the podcast and, uh, 
we, we really enjoy getting feedback from you guys and and we try to use that to help the sh- help uh, better the show in whatever way we can um, but yeah that's really gonna be about it for the show uh, again uh, we will see you guys next time this has been episode 143 of the podcast and we will see you guys next time on episode 144 bye guys sayonara sayonara